Hello and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. Uh, this week, James Bond learned that in the Farsi language, the term TM describes the sparkle in someone's eyes when you meet them for the first time. But for James Bond, TM describes the sparkly seeds in a girl's eyes just before someone's about to twat him on the head with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm your villain host, James Page of my 6 and this week we are going to be doing a watch-along of You Only Live Twice, as we are on our penultimate film. And we all know what's last, don't we? Yeah! So, this week <laughs> I'm joined by Calvin, David, Lisa, Bill and Ben. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hello, I'm Calvin Dyson, and I have a YouTube channel where I review and discuss all things Bond, books, films, games, um, all that good stuff. I'm David Lee. I run the James Bond Dossier website. I'm also author of the guide to the drinks of James Bond. Uh, I'm Dr. Lisa Funnell. I'm an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond, editor of For His Eyes Only the Women of James Bond, and host of a very small side podcast called License to Critique. And today it is World Smile Day, and so I have decided to make myself smile even more by having apple cider with a shot of amaretto. Ooh, nice. I'm feeling good, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spy Command, and I'm having iced tea so I can be the designated driver of this podcast. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Ben Williams. I write for MI6HQ.com and MI6 Confidential Magazine. Um, so check those out. Now shipping. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this week's You Live Twice, and has everybody got Leo open? The right yeah. spot. Yeah. All right. Yep. All right. So, Bill, you have the honor this week. All right. And for those watching home along with us, there is a UA logo after MGM, so we're going to have a bonus sound effect from Bill. If everybody's ready, we're going to press play in three, two, one, play. Arr. Arr. <laughs> that was very good. That I thought the so ah, come on was supposed to be the lion at first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I was like, oh, he's talking to me. <laughs> How much did I drink? <laughs> black, black and white gun barrel. Black and white gun barrel and a regular guitar instead of the electric guitar. Hmm. It's like, I think that's the only time they did that. Unless I missed one. I'd love it if they just had a caption that said space. <laughs> <laughs> the final frontier. Oh, wrong film. We should mash this up with Drax's space station. And these two are just kind of <laughs> you know, hanging there. Oh. Your dog's I don't agree. remember the dog in there before. <laughs> that was, the, that the, was, the, uh, that was the Russian mission. <laughs> in, um, in the script, uh, they actually called it Gemini, but in the film, they changed it to Jupiter. Gemini, of course, mm. being the actual real life name of the space program at that time. So these shots of like the control room, these aren't actors, are they? That's just random footage. Right, yeah. yeah. You can tell because some of the people don't look like they've ever seen a camera before. They're like some, looking over like, what's that? I'll bet it was taken by some defense contractor or by NASA itself. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was available to 
whoever wanted whatever production company needed to to use it, whatever terms they had to fill. So he's bringing to a sense up. of authenticity to this film. Uh, see, mm. you got to go outside to move the antenna so we can pick up Channel Five. The the, the, <laughs> the, the the problem with authenticity with using stock footage sometimes it's old stock footage. I don't know mm. so much about this one, and you can see like grains in the film. There's <laughs> mm. a recognizable face, and he'll be checking radiation shields in a couple of yes. weeks' time. Mm. That's right. The first appearance of two uh, Jerry Anderson stars in this. Uh, pre-title sequence i've got to say I, I, I love the music in, mm-hmm. in this film really really good and the the the, uh, the capsule in space is is outstanding mm. yeah and, well, and the space capsule it's lovely isn't it yeah i um I, well i saw this at a drive-in and uh well it scared the hell out of me that music um it's just it wasn't it's not real bill I, know. Well, I, I, I get i get that I, I just want to know who's filming it <laughs> well we'll get to that in the climax because where are these cameras that bond is watching when he's trying to right. destroy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is the once you can't unsee it if you look at the effect shot of the wire it's yeah it's over the top of the uh pod because oh the, yeah yeah, but the, for the, optical, for the, the optical effect doesn't move at the same speed. And, oh yeah, and, and like some of the stars, there's like two different layers of stars in some shots that are moving at um, a different pace. But it's still for the time. I think these effects are pretty good. Uh, I think. Yeah. You, you, also, bear in mind this was the year before 2001: A Space Odyssey, and I think that mm-hmm. movie caused people to have to step up their game for space space effects by 1967 standards. This is probably pretty acceptable. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Did you find the death of that person in space to be horrific? Because I remember watching this, oh, yeah. like much younger as a kid, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I will never be the person to go out of a spaceship and go fix something because that'll probably happen. <laughs> like, yeah. I, if I ever became an astronaut, I had my list of things I would not do, and be the person outside was was one of them because of well, this movie. Well, in particular, the way the the guy says, "My lifeline's being cut," you know, it's. Right in the middle God, of the word yeah. cut, and it's like, oh, that's you know, added it's to the whole media. It's such an immediate effect, right? right? You know, you're not going to have yeah. enough air to finish that sentence. Yeah. Uh, and uh, into Drax's body at some point, and they'll do a little dance in space. <laughs> so, for the kids watching at home, this is back in the day when the UK were like a sensible international player that could calm down a situation <laughs> and act as a mediator. Yeah, and, and that that. It's uh, also, also the days of, of pens. You may not have seen one before. <laughs> <laughs> but I really do think that it's interesting because you have to have a reason for, in a sense, the UK and James Bond to be involved in all of this, right? And if this is a conflict between the USA and the USSR, why would James Bond get involved? But to have them be sort of like the middle ground, the rational uh, one, the one to be able to negotiate between powers, that gives us sort of a very important symbolic representation saying that like the UK still matters when it comes to global affairs and you need us to sort of um, sort of maintain social order. So I've, I've always found it interesting to have that table in the middle being the negotiator when it, it could have been anyone or maybe it wasn't even necessary. But I think it has a definite narrative point uh for this film also they said that it's our singapore tracking station i assume meaning the uk's and uh so the uk is uh sus- you know suspects something is not as it appears so that's another excuse for them to get involved i uh, guess uh, <laughs> I, re- I remember seeing this on tv for the first time 
she makes they an were... appearance back in um, Casino Royale. Casino Royale. Yeah. Sure we all know that. Saichin. And uh, one of these guys is um, Anthony Ainley, who went on to play the master in Doctor Who for those uh, Brits. Mm. It's funny they didn't see the gunman running down the stairs yeah. as they were running up the stairs. Well, they came in a different door, I think. Uh, well, anyway. Also, the Hong Kong the cops, end. I get they're not. Podcast, we're done. James Bond will return. No, James Bond will not return. <laughs> the end. Well, Connery wanted out, so we're letting him out. Um, so Connery, because um, I uh, just want to nip this one quick, was um, obviously Majesties was the one that was supposed to come next, and then they changed their minds, didn't they, to do You and Live Twice instead. Hmm. Um, and I was right. pulling up some old notes on this. And um, with Connery being, you know, unhappy and they were going to shoot Majesty's next, Saltzman was already shopping for who the new Bond was going to be for You Only Live Twice after Majesty's and was talking to Terence Stamp about it. And um, Terence Stamp was apparently all for it. And Terence Stamp plan idea was to do basically the whole movie disguised in Japanese makeup and at the end of the film revealed that it was Terence Stamp playing James Bond. Oh, God. <laughs> According to Terence Stamp, Harry didn't like Harry didn't like the idea, and the discussion promptly ended. I wonder why he didn't like it. Oh man! It took a moment to process that they could have possibly done a convincing enough makeup job on Terence Stamp that any audience would be fooled for like two hours that he is not Terence Stamp. Like that would just not. I mean, Connery didn't fool anybody for two minutes, so, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> Was it the Aragato Gashamish? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're about to come oh, yeah. up to Shockey. one of the most, for me, one of the more intriguing uh, title cards, which is additional story material by Harold Jack Bloom. So, like, okay, how much did he contribute? Because I assume he contributed something. Otherwise, why give him a credit? I mean, he was the first writer on the project. Uh, there he is. Um, and in the, sometime in the nineties, there was a biography of Roa Dahl published and I wasn't motivated enough to buy it, but I did check the, the index. And so there's some quotes from Bloom where he said, if they had had the same writer's guild rules that were in effect in the nineties, when this film was made, he would have gotten in the screenplay credit. Now, of course, that's his perspective and there's no way to tell unless you have the various script drafts to judge, but uh, but Bloom always felt he should have like shared the credit with um, Dahl in that screenplay credit. Yeah, the MI6 press office are about to publish their ten by eights of all their agents in the in the newspaper. <laughs> um, uh, we blew, we blew through the song. What's everybody's taken it? Because uh, it's not one of my favorites. Really. Um, I like I, it. I like I, it. I, I I like the um I like the kind of oriental sound of it. Mm. I like the instrumental more than I like the yeah. Yes. I I I think that is just a really beautiful piece of music. I think the the title song itself is is okay, but as a kind of a standalone instrumental track, it's it really quite right. beautiful. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with, and I, do, I think David said it at the beginning, this has one of the best soundtracks. Um, mm. 
of, of and, and it's very sort of like a defined soundtrack. Like when I hear the songs, I'm like, oh, I know where it's from. But I do like sort of that that melody that comes here. And I love the song um, uh, when N- Little Nelly is is sort of going into flight. Like I just feel like the music does the right job of sort of pushing me along and feeling the things that I that I should be feeling in this film. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful piece later on at the the Kobe docks where it's this big aerial shot. We'll get to it where mm-hmm. Bond's fighting, yeah, and yeah. the music there is just fantastic all through that sequence. It's really That's lovely. That 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 bit is apparently the thing that got David Arnold into Bond. Oh, really? Oh. Mm. <laughs> yes, I, re- I remember sequence. reading or hearing that from him. Yeah. Um. So what do you think about this funeral? Like, I've always loved the fact that he's launched like a torpedo. He's sub- sort of like, he has sort of the, the burial at sea. He's sort of a commander yeah. at sea. And I've always sort of loved his reaction to like, you know, asking for permission to come on board. But his mask always reminds me of like, not to bring it up again, but alien. And so <laughs> kind of like mixed feelings where I first see it, I'm like, whoa. And then, you know, he's obviously doesn't have an alien on his face. And I've always loved the permission to come on board element Wouldn't afterwards. Yeah. It, it makes me feel horrifically claustrophobic. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, it'd be great. They they cut it open and he's got a face hugger on there. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it kind of looks like it. Like, it's, it's great. It does, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, a little bit like that's the tail. If he's, if he's wrapped in a plastic bag, where does he exhale? <laughs> I mean, surely there should be like a stream of bubbles coming out. It should be so it's, it's kind of like it's recycling the, um, the air that you breathe I'm out. I'm just glad he didn't have beans for lunch. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't like push yeah, that knife down it. hard when they opened it. Like they could have <laughs> cut open his face. What do you think maybe, about it? Maybe he did have beans for lunch because in a minute, you know, M asks how he's doing, and it's like any effects is. He doesn't say none at all, doesn't he? Say like, uh, like case the vents sitting down again. Did she get to stand up? Uh, at the end, at the oh, end, okay. she does, but but <laughs> but not until then. <laughs> That's right. Lewis Gilbert made her sit down in all three of her movies. The, uh, all three of his been, movies. Yeah, it should he, have been know. the monorail trilogy, James. It should have been the Money Penny sits down. Oh, sit down, Money Penny. <laughs> 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 do we like Bond in naval uniform? And I know the answer is yes, but do we like it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think I'm my mouth full. Yeah. yeah this is obviously the first time we see him in uh, in uniform, and I think it's kind of it's kind of an, it's a nice touch to put it to put it in there. And I, I I think he looks pretty dashing in it, personally. I feel that's something that's missing in the Craig era, where yeah, I would like to see. It you know, Daniel Craig in one of those uniforms, because I've always like, whether it's this film, whether it's the spy who loved me, you know, seeing Roger Moore in that uniform, I don't know. It just takes things up a notch. It it makes it feel as though his connection to the service goes a level deeper than, and again, there's nothing wrong with being sort of a secret agent, but that there's some sort of like background in service uh, that he's pulling from. I just, I don't know, for some reason, I just, I like the formal like he can look good in a tuxedo, but he can also look incredibly good uh, in a suit. And I, I always find it interesting that he sets a fire on it. Why would he? Why would he <laughs> not tell him? Because there's no one else in the room, and you know, there's literally no reason to just burn that bit of paper. He should have just said, "Oh, this is." It's yeah. unless he got unless he got caught later. The other thing had is, that p- paper on him. Yeah, M's but he didn't even M's office. That bit of paper. He could have just said what was on it. 
M's office is the M's office is the entire width of the submarine. So to get to anything in the other half of the submarine, you have to walk through his office. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe. And his maybe, maybe made he's of at wood. one end, but maybe he's at one end of the submarine. Yeah, like the engine, the like the engine end when all the people have to go through his office. Sorry. Whatever. All the bathrooms are back there. The heads back there. <laughs> okay, so so we're about to show Instant Japanese, the book that she gives him, and then he says he got a first in Oriental languages at Cambridge, which is at variance with the Fleming biography of Bond. Uh, Raymond Benson, one of his, I forget if it was a continuation novel or a novelization, came up with an explanation, and I forget what the explanation was. But, uh, Cause it was, was waiting. It was yeah. Long. yeah. <laughs> It was like he was like, um, like he was self conscious, so he like made it up uh, mm. that he got a first mm. North, you know, something like that. I, I you know, I haven't read it in years, so I don't remember exactly, but it was something like that. He was just into lying. the uh, mental archive. Go into the mental archive, Bill. <laughs> I, I Pull it out for us. That's the, that's the best. That's the best entrance into that archive. <laughs> 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 Jesus. Um, um, they by use the way, that, so they we, use that first in Oriental languages line in a show called um, Danger Five, which is a kind of a spoof. Yes. And uh, there's lots of little um, Bond references in there. If people haven't seen it, it's a great little show. Hmm. So he's in a wetsuit. Where's where do you get, pick up this business suit to walk into He's Tokyo with? <laughs> you just unzipped it. Well, as a six foot three Scott, there are probably too many off the peg suits in Tokyo. <laughs> right, I understand he nipped, that. But... While you wait, Taylor, he just nipped. He was wearing like he goes into the tailor's in a wetsuit, and he says, <laughs> "I'm got my luggage." Uh, can you do something? And the mate just, just sits in there for 20 minutes in a, in a wetsuit. There is a home video version of this where they have subtitles in the sequence. And it's like, it's not like any of the dialogue is any, is, is all that revealing. It's like, now he's going into the door. Is it stuff Connery? like that. It's, and it's like, I saw it. I was horrified because to me, the scene is much better, you know, with, you know, with no subtitles, it's yeah. like it adds well, well, to the... One thing they do on, on Spanish TV is they put subtitles to, to music. And so if a song's playing in the background, they put subtitles in English. Uh, sorry, in Spanish, if it's an English song. And it, it's absurd because if, if you're listening to it, you can't, you can't really make out the words most of the time. <laughs> background music. And I, hmm. I, I don't know why they do it. It's crazy. I wouldn't be moving my head around with a guy with a spike that close to the back of my head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm just going to, you know, swing my head around. I'm going to be impaled by that thing. Anyway. Yeah, but you wouldn't, you, wouldn't be the, you wouldn't want to be that guy if you made a mistake, though, would you? No, right. Hmm. So something I found out about sumo wrestling when I was planning trips to Japan is it's only for a very narrow time of the year. Hmm. Oh. So it's not like you can just like, oh, I'm going to Tokyo. I'm going to go and watch some sumo. No, no. It's like, it's even shorter than in the NFL season. It's like the only so like six weekends this, um, or something. Does this place, you only live twice in a particular month or? Well, it should do, right? Yeah. That's interesting. You're not going to tell us what it is though. Like... I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, um, you know, uh, they they start filming in July of '66, and I think this is a real match. I mean, I don't know because when they started filming, they started filming in Pinewood. I don't know when they went to Japan in '66, but so if yeah. this is if this is a staged fight, does that make it pseudo wrestling? <laughs> um, I, oh, I, I I thought I. So I thought I read somewhere that the sumos wouldn't do a stage thing. It had to be a, an actual match. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah. honor and all that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in no, other words, it's, 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 it's not like wrestling in the United States <laughs> with no. Hulk Hogan and those guys. I went to uh, I went to Tokyo many many years ago for work, and the the thing that I remember about it was that uh, they used to everyone there used to laugh at me because of my watch, which was analog, and they thought it was some kind of British irony or something. But no, it was just <laughs> my watch. Yeah. Should have brought them a fucking sundial. <laughs> <laughs> It seems so weird just watching like all these human beings together in one room with no masks. It just feels so <laughs> surreal in the time of the coronavirus that you know that this was usual. Sorry, Calvin, I think I, I cut you off. Oh no, sorry. I was going to say this is all good travel log stuff. All of this, like you know, the fact that they're having this meeting in this location, it's just one of those things that I just appreciate Bond for so much. Just seeing you know this snapshot of a place in at mm -hmm. this time, it's I think it's just really cool. Oh, and this car. Yeah. This car. Yeah, if you look if you look closely on the uh, on the on the location shots, Connery's way taller than the top of the windshield. Way too tall. And, then when, yes. and then when they cut to the back lot shots, he's sitting quite low. Well, and the windshield's and, completely different. And at the time, Toyota did not have a convertible, so they had to customize yeah. one yeah. of their existing models. But yeah, I, I think that they, there were only what three of these made, or was it even just one of them? It was two. Of the, uh, but I think they two. had two of them. And they had, um, and yeah, and they basically just cut the roof off and made a fake tonneau cover on the back. Um, so I, I went for one or three, and it was two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, mid ground. Um, but I love the little car. I think that like it's everywhere in this film, and I think it definitely suits Aki, and it gets Bond to where he needs to be. Like I, I think it's probably one of my favorite Bond cars. I don't know if that's like a controversial, unpopular opinion, but it's beautiful. Yeah. The, the the hardtop ones are quite rare as well, and uh, I saw that one of them went recently for I don't know, some astronomical sum. So you better start saving. Yeah, um, yeah, and then Jay take a to it. Jay Leno has one, and he he did a you know a drive drive around in it uh, am, for his I, show, and he's he's a relatively tall guy as well, and to see him try and squeeze into it is pretty funny. <laughs> right, I did. 007, wrong leg. What do you think about Henderson's purple cushions everywhere? I never noticed that until now. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like that his um, you know room is sort of this meshing of styles, and there's some of this old English stuff in there. Like you know, I'm not sure if a four poster bed is uh, English, but uh, some of like that, the chairs in the background they've only got like one arm. I don't know if that's a, a, a Japanese thing or if that's sort well, of like he's only, a, he's only got one leg, so maybe it's to balance it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I like it. I think there's some really nice little design touches in here and purple, you know, being a royal color and all that kind of stuff. I think it's, uh, yeah. Uh, I read something a couple of years ago saying that purple, when used in films, uh, indicates bisexuality. So uh, I I don't know if that uh, was the case back in 1967, but... uh... Well, I, I I get a lot of that from Charles Gray. I think he's yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's, I I mean, if you compare him to the Henderson of the novels, who is kind of a very, um, you know, heterosexual Australian guy, uh, it's a mm. very different kind of take um, to to go for this kind of rather camp performance. Um, mm-hmm. I love actually. Um, mm. I think yeah, no, I, I I wasn't. Uh, uh, He's definitely camp, but I, I just uh, I just wonder about the you know color. Uh, Lisa usually, right. or, or Lisa often talks about color and what it symbolizes, mm-hmm. and uh, just wonder if it it was supposed to symbolize anything back then. Yeah, it symbolizes being don't stand too close to the wall. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're um, he's just, he's just yeah, in um, in Ava Gardner's Ava Gardner's memoir, she talks about Charles Gray because he was her neighbor. Oh, oh. If, if you'd taken a jump, just a jump to the right, he wouldn't have got stabbed. That's right. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> we we uh, in in real life, we went from Pinewood to this to this garden at the side of the New Otani Hotel. Um, we will then go on a car ride. The, the audience figuratively will and then you'll end up at the front of the new otani hotel that's what was made to be uh osato chemical headquarters um but yeah this is this this is the side of the hotel where the cast and crew stayed during the tokyo part of the shoot and uh so they just went outside and shot in the in the garden yeah (laughs) yeah it's just fortunate that you found the uh the, the the japanese guy with the biggest feet (laughs) <laughs> in all of Tokyo, uh, well, and, and and probably the top one of the tallest Japanese in Tokyo as well, because it looks that coat looks like a reasonable fit. Safe um, sharing that mask. Okay, it so always now, reminds me of um, that joke in BoJack Horseman about the where the the kid dresses up in in the big coat to look like an adult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is the front of the new Otani Hotel. I stayed there five years ago and uh, still looks pretty much the same Hmm. Um, because in the car I was, I was doing something for work and the, I was in a group of us took the train from the airport and then we got into taxis and the sun was setting, but I could make out the the shape of the, of the building. I said, that's Osato chemical. We're going to Osato chemical. Turned out that was the hotel we were going to. Oh, no (laughs) way. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Oh, well, yes. It's me. Uh, is uh this is um Dwayne Johnson's grandfather? This is the Rock's grandfather. Yeah, <laughs> is it? Yeah, it's <laughs> really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. so uh, that's a little known fact. I thought it was quite funny. I I do love the fact that he he beats him up with a sofa. I mean, <laughs> there's many films where people use. I mean, how light is that couch? It's IKEA. <laughs> Well, especially <laughs> especially since in the long shots, I think that's Bob Simmons holding it, and Simmons was a couple inches shorter and probably somewhat mm-hmm. lighter than Connery. So, you think that you would just like, in you know, you roll left, you roll right, you roll left, you roll right. You think at certain point, right? 
you'd just be like, oh, just I'll just hit the same place again. Yeah. <laughs> but I do like the set. I oh, love yeah. everything from the furniture to the type of textures, whether it's the wood on the wall, the combination of wood and metal. Um, I don't know. There's something about this particular set. And of course, we'll get to the volcano set a little bit later. That just, I think, helps to amplify this film just like one step up for me. Like it just, I don't know how to describe it. It just gives me the feels and like really yeah. good feels when I watch mm. this film. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely set, isn't it? And it's, it's kind of all of the, all of the things that you kind of, want from ken adam are mm -hmm. in here um and uh you know like like you said it's the use of materials the the angles the new shapes yep uh, <laughs> it's all, it's all in there. <laughs> does he have a, a a safe cracker on him at this moment it's in his oh, suit it's funny you should mention yeah. that ben it's like he got it at the tailor Right. right. Okay, so, yeah, where did where did this come from, and what did he think? You know what? I'm gonna end up in a in an office tonight. I'm gonna meet my contact, but I'm probably probably should bring my safe racker. <laughs> I like it though. At least he does something in terms of like. This, yeah, I, again, I love <laughs> Yeah, like he's he's actually doing it, and we're we're sort of doing it with him. Like we're yeah. we're going through the process, and, and I, I and he's he's sweating there as well. Yeah, yeah I think mm -hmm. he's two pays, mate, trying to make an escape. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite good. I don't know if it's because we're watching it without the sound, but normally at this point, I'm like, oh god, Connery's so bored in this, and maybe it is because I'm not hearing him. But so far, I'm like, oh no, actually, he really looks the part. He's quite mm -hmm. cool. I really like this bit, the tension. It's all good stuff. And then it's the alarm just, just goes it's off. Just he, it's just that he sounds bored, Calvin. Maybe it is. Like maybe it was the looping but, that they did afterwards, yeah. where you just couldn't you be bothered. Uh, you got to imagine he'd already quit, and then they pull him in to do the audio looping. Yeah. Ah. So. Not the most energetic performance. The classic mm. hide behind the cabinets. <laughs> yeah, um, I think Connery originally signed a six-picture deal, and then they tore it up and like signed him to a one-picture. This one, and you know, with the big raise, and I think they thought they could like get him back, but then mm. no, they couldn't get him back. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of weird that what was going on back then. Um, of course, he was. Of course, Connor was also pissed off that Dean Martin made more money for the silencers than he made for Thunderballs. That, that's that's uh, not a way to uh, get on a Scott's good side, I guess. Uh, he was very generally annoyed, I think, throughout the production of this because um, I think you know Bernard Lee um, had was doing the the movie with his his brother. Um, as was Lois Maxwell as well. Um, so he was kind of annoyed about that um, and annoyed about, yeah, I mean, I think this was just like the, the kind of, as you say, Bill, the kind of the, uh, all of the, all of the things coming together to kind of make a pretty bored and, and annoyed Connery. Right. And, and also the Japanese press were very aggressive, you know, trying to get pictures of him, trying to talk to him. Um, there's that footage in the Wicker's World documentary of uh, Broccoli admonishing the, the press. Oh, he's going down that chute. In the script, uh, Tanaka reveals that 
had he been identified as someone other than Bond, there they would have diverted him to another shoot mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. it would have mm-hmm. been burnt up. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> the trapdoor is actually from the novel. Um, I was about to say, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I'll take it away, David. Because no, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you were doing, you were doing splendidly. Uh, oh, <laughs> well, yeah. So one of there's a couple of things that they have in the in the novel, which is one is the the, the trap door, uh, and the other is the nightingale floor. Both were fairly common architectural um, traps um, in 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 sort of Japanese architecture. Um, and the, the nightingale floor would just be like, like a series of kind of, um, beams that would squeak if you walked, walked in the wrong spot. But the trap door was basically a you know, counterweighted door and you would go into your one room and then you would pull this lever to stop it from dropping. Um, and then reset it, you know, put and set it at, at night, obviously to, you know, the assassins or whatever coming for you. Just thought I'd bring that up. <laughs> hmm. And that shoot uh, reappears in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, Gert Frobe slides down it um, along with Anna Quayle. Uh, they redesign it so it's not like chrome. It's it's a brick. It's their escape shoot out of the uh, the castle when they're escaping all of the revolting children. As in, the children are revolting against the, <laughs> the children are yes uh, sorry <laughs> it would be great if they ended up in uh, Osato's office <laughs> <laughs> oh that's an edit that needs to happen <laughs> but I really love his office again it's the use of materials I love the copper balls that have the uh, the the screens inside of them and I love the train I mean there's so much about like the subterranean world of James Bond in this, whether it's submarines and being underwater and their secrecy there, whether it's, you know, having this underground layer and a, and a way to, to move, you know, across Japan. And then you sort of have the subterranean when it comes to the volcano and sort of the hidden layers. And so this film is really about what is hiding underneath uh, the surface. And of course, utilizing technology as being, whether it's a train or a monorail, love the monorail, uh, in order to get, you know, through different types of spaces. So I just, I, I really like the underground layers of, of this film. In, in the script I have, the line from Tanaka is, computers, quote, would, ha- would very quickly have redirected the shoot and you'd have been in, much, been in a much hotter seat than that one. Mm-hmm. So, in, so in other words, I guess the shoot was more high tech as envisioned by Roy Do you Dahl. think that the, um, you know, the same architect who did Blofeld's um, rooms you know like do they just do they have all they share the same guy you know i've got a shoot that goes down to or an electric chair anyway i'm not that fun twig <laughs> i do like um just to sort of pick up on what lisa said because i've never really thought about this before but i do like how this film tries to go back to you know bond is doing actual spy work and we're going to make fun of his disguise later on but you know disguising <laughs> yourself is a part of spy work and all that kind of stuff which bond doesn't normally do and i'm just thinking coming after goldfinger and thunderball both of which i think phil described thunderball in our uh watch along as, of that as being a bit of a hangout film. And you do just have Bond just kind of hanging out in both of those films, like, well, I'll just see if I, I can save the day at some point. Here, he's actually doing a lot of investigating what Lisa was saying about this subterranean network and all that kind of stuff. It feels underground. It feels a bit more covert mm-hmm. than yeah. what goes on in Thunderball, for example, where it all just seems to be out in the open and we're just going with the flow. 
So yeah. who wants to talk about this scene? I just was going <laughs> to say something, but uh, you know, go what? for it. No, no, you can go for it. I'll tag, gonna, I'll tag along after. No, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defer to you because it just, it's. I, uh, I don't want to take, take the tone down. <laughs> Before we get to, to the scene, as in the movie, can I also mention some sure. of what was in the script that didn't make the film? Oh, oh. So at one point, um, let's see. This, uh, this is my summary that I wrote it up. Tiger takes Bond to his house, and then Bond asks. Um, Bond at one point asks Tiger if he's got a wife at home. Me, a wife? Never. In matters of this sort, I think I'm very much the Japanese equivalent of Bondo-san. <laughs> so mm-hmm. apparently, yeah. So some additional information that was in the script that didn't make the movie. So in terms of this particular scene, um, I, I show this to my students and you can imagine some of the groans that come out through the dialogue. Um, and there's a lot of conversations about really men coming first and women serving and servicing men uh, throughout. Um, and it really does play on, you know, the, a stereotype for Asian women, which is called the Lotus Blossom stereotype. So there's two main stereotypes for Asian women, and it depends on how they sort of compare to the status quo. Um, one that challenges the status quo. So that's more of like the dragon lady stereotype, which is not in this film, but the Lotus Blossom is supposed to be represented as being sort of servile, industrious, eager to please. Um, and there's a line when he picks up Aki and in a few minutes where she says like, I will very much like serving under you. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a sexual reference, but it's also like a social reference as well. And so I've always felt a little bit uncomfortable with this scene and the way that women are serving and servicing uh, men and this notion that men come first, women come, come second. Uh, whether or not that is true of Japanese culture, this is certainly the Bond mm-hmm. franchise's interpretation or utilization of Japanese culture in order to sort of justify yeah. that dynamic. So it's always felt a little bit weird to me. Well, you know, also, also in the script, uh, again, something that didn't happen in the movie, it is noticeable that two girls helping Tanaka are unable to keep their eyes off Bond. Stage direction. And then soon, all four girls have quietly slid over to Bond, leaving Tanaka alone. The, uh, then Tiger, you know, yells for the women to come back. The four girls ignore Tanaka. They rinse soap off Bond and help him into the bath. Tanaka roars, <laughs> Tanaka roars at them in Japanese, threatening them with terrible punishment. <laughs> oh, well, that's almost that's that's worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that's that's my point. You know, it's like it's like it's all sorts of stuff we're going through. Raw dolls, mine. I mean, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna take like dial back on like at least. I mean, you look at that scene and think, "Oh Christ!" And then you realize that that's that's the dial back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. At least uh, you know. I mean, in the uh, in the novel, it, it that that scene is is in a brothel. So, you know, right. I, I guess for no, some for some reason, minute. my my neural pathways have mixed with this and coming to America when Eddie Murphy's in the bath with the slaves at the beginning, and the, the one pops up and says the royal penis is clean. <laughs> right. I'm always reminded of this one. It's not far off being that bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a pretty bad scene as well, but. You know, uh, I'm, I'll reserve my comments for when we do the watch along of that, James. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're making a sequel, so. Oh, right. <laughs> Getting the fuck out of America. 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, also in that uh, previous scene, Tanaka said, is nothing but your ape-like appearance. All Japanese men are blessed with exceptionally clean, smooth skin. We consider hair on the chest to be obnoxious. Yeah, that, that that's kind of from the book, though. I I, I think. Yeah. I, I haven't read the book for for quite a long time, but uh, it uh, rings a bell. So, and, uh, Cap Karen Thor nearly got decapitated in this scene. Uh, <gasps> yep. Just uh, she uh, she she was uh, shouted at just at the right time. Um, but apparently, yeah, they uh, they had to wait for uh, you know. For the blades to stop rotating before she got out. Oh my gosh! And was like, no, well, don't get out yet. Well, <laughs> and there was there was also something else uh, separate from that where um, she was standing in a spot to you know for lighting, and then they asked her to come out, and then w- right after she came out, some lights fell down from overhead. So yeah. that that's two. <laughs> so that's Dang. two near misses that wow. she had. Oh. Speaking of near misses. Here's a pivot to casting. Um, none of the original characters in this film were their first choice. Mm. So Blofeld, everybody knows about it. Well, non-recurring characters, right? So uh, Blofeld, we all know, was that Czech actor, John Wick, who got fired after a week because he looked like Santa Claus, right? We know that one. Right. <laughs> Tiger Tanaka was originally going to be Toshiro Mifun, I think you pronounce his uh-huh. name. Toshiro Mifune. Mifune. Yeah. Um, but he took the Grand Prix role, so oh. they cast Tetsuro Tamba instead. That's, Aki, that's, that's fine. Aki, Excuse me, just because in the book James Bond in the Cinema by John Brosnan, he criticizes the casting in this movie. He says, it should have been Toshiro Mifune. Yeah, it was going to be. Yeah. He, Lewis Gilbert he, tried to cast him, and he went yeah. to John Frankenheim instead. Aki and Kissy obviously were reversed because of the whole threat and the suicide thing with the right. English language. And Helga Brandt was going to be played by Eva Renzi, the quote German Julie Christie. We have in my notes, um, but she passed on it, so they gave it to Karen Dor instead. So none of these character, none of these roles went to their first choice. What about uh, Mr. Osato? I don't yeah. have notes on that, but I can't okay. imagine that was. His, his name. His, his, Sam. It's amazing. His, his <laughs> name. Uh, his name was Tir, uh, Hiro Shimada. He, he shows up in tons of uh, American TV shows in the '60s and '70s. That's it was very common. To, you know, uh, needed a yeah. Japanese who could speak English. He was your guy. Yeah. I just found it interesting going through the list of the cast. It's like, nope, 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 <laughs> nope. These were not their first choices. Hmm. I have a question about the dynamic here between Osato and um, Helga Brandt. She is a numbered Spectre agent. Um, She's part of the hierarchy. And I've always, and I I get obviously like the gender roles of the time where it would, if you're going to put a front forward, having, you know, a man be sort of the head of, of the company and have a woman be sort of the personal pilot secretary. And by the way, that's sort of like a common thread that, you know, you have a woman who's the personal pilot and the secretary at the same time. Anyways, um, but like, it's always a bit bothered me just because she is a high ranking you know, Spectre agent and that she's presented in sort of like a lower role to Osato, even though she has like a pretty high rank inspector, like the dynamics there just have always felt, I don't know. Well, uh, I have to say um, in Japanese uh, society is probably even a little more sexist than our own. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I guess the way I would look at it is that it's essentially a cover. Um, it's a way for her to yeah. get it's through unnoticed. It's Pam, Pam Bouvier playing Bond secretary. And well, interestingly, you know, when, when you get them meeting Blofeld together in his, you know, in his um, elaborate kind of office, um, the dynamic does shift. Um, and he is very fearful. He's fearful of, of Blofeld, but he kind of realizes that, you know, she's a part of that. So mm-hmm. you do you do kind of see that. Yeah. Oh, so we're about to see the giant magnet. And um, the script I have is like maybe two and a half weeks before they began filming, and they didn't have it. And I believe that the giant magnet may have been Dana Broccoli's idea. So again, in the script, it's like they went through a deserted alleyway and there were these walls that came out and crushed the bad guy's car. So, uh, but instead they worked this thing in, uh, in a subsequent rewrite. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty clever. Yeah. It's just nice how there's no other cars in the road as well. Yeah, and you've just got, <laughs> you've just got this helicopter permanently on standby for this exact... But they... Uh, they like, <laughs> Yeah. Hey Bob, we got one. We got the call. Well, well also you remember Aki says the usual Why is he reception. Here? <laughs> <laughs> Aki refers to the usual reception. So how many times a month does a Japanese secret service <laughs> drop cars right. into, into, to- into right. Tokyo right. Bay? Getting paid still. This camera, obviously another Another helicopter. <laughs> it, it, it was a drone. It, 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 Japan was way ahead in in dr- drone yeah. technology in 1960. Yeah. <laughs> just missing yeah, the yeah. Uh, the BBC photographer just to capture the action for the newspaper the next day as well. Yeah. And, and, and the and the camera angle on the little TV just happens to match up to our angle. In the hmm. this is where it turns into little Nelly, uh, not little Nelly, uh, wet Nelly, just hmm. uh, turns into a submarine. Uh, do you think they had to retrieve that car, or do you think it's still down the bottom uh, of the bay? <laughs> there are, um, and I'm sure the guys at the Ian Fleming Foundation will attest to this. There's a lot of kind of, um, you know, vehicles that have just kind of been left there to, you know, collect dust, so to speak. Um, mm. Well, one, well, the one Lotus was you know, left it, you know, was was rusting away somewhere in Nassau. Uh, yeah. The one that they got, and they they you know refurbished it. It was like a rush job. Well, when we take the show on the road, this is one place <laughs> that we should go and look for the car. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a little bit of um, sound design um, in this where the guy hitting his hand with the um, like crowbar that he's going to beat Bond up with um, ties into the folk horns in the background. Uh, we obviously can't hear it on this watch along because we've got the volume down but when uh, he gets confronted by the goons it goes quite funny (laughs) watch out for that folks (laughs) yeah here it is it sounded like a nokia yeah there we go hang on here's the guy sorry trying to get the there's a there's a little button that you can press that just basically mutes your like that, like that. Yeah. So he has um he has his gun switches up a few times in this as well. Um, I'm not going to get too deeply into details because I'll be called out on Twitter. 
but you'll notice it does it does switch around a fair bit. Is she wearing jeans? I think it's yeah. just it's very uncommon for a woman to be wearing like casual clothing in a Bond film. Am I am I wrong in that? I mean, most often it's more glamorous. It's bathing suits. It's ball gowns and suits. It's just it's unusual to see somebody in jeans and like a sweatshirt. Hmm. Yeah. This shot's pretty pretty damn great, isn't it? It's so mm-hmm. good. The choreography involved and all that, it's just, yeah, it's really, really impressive. You know, to, I, mean, I, th- I think there's a clear three feet between his fist and their heads. <laughs> yeah, <he is>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then obviously but, Lewis Gilbert said that this was sort of supposed to be sort of the opposite, you know, of like all of the fights, like the Red Grant one, where it's a lot of cuts and very close up and all that kind of stuff. And this is a fight sequence where it's all... Right. Uh, Expanded out. Here's a yeah. nice little, but I, I do. nice little st- switch here from the stuntman, yeah. and then he pops up behind the. You know, oh, that's the stuntman, and there's Connery. In the background. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, that's not executed very well. That little cheat, but it is done. It is done pretty well there. Mm. Oh, I, I forgot he gets hit with a stick in this film as well. Here it is. Anyway. So should we talk about how Nothing makes basically it. just <laughs> Luciana Paluzzi, let's do her again. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yes, I would agree because wasn't uh, Karen Dorn normally a brunette? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Villainous women of the 1960s, the vast majority and the worst of them have red hair. Hmm. This is also just a ridiculous kind of bit of narrative where they've caught him, he's tied to a chair, he seduces her, they escape, but the escape was actually to try to kill him in the plane, but they already had him tied to a chair. Uh huh. <laughs> so, just kill him. She, she's horny as well as villainous. Yeah. Mm. Very odd. The, the whole plane sequence is one of those little bits of the whole Bond franchise. I forget happens. <laughs> Like if you were to ask me to write down all the scenes in this movie, I'd probably nine times out of ten forget the bit that's about to come up. It's definitely the sort of uh, bomb film that's being written by six fourteen-year-olds in a treehouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you're right about the whole plane thing because it is really stupid. Like everything that happens with like the wooden thing that pops out yeah. to keep him in place, and it's like, well, where did that come from? Because uh, and yeah, the whole illogic like her with the parachute it's really strange um go through all of these hoops just to just to do like a like a possible death when you've got him sitting right here mm. and just it's sort of a very odd odd thing um she's um she's she's pretty good in this movie but she's no luciana Pulitzi, is she i hate to be hate to be mean but like uh yeah yeah, but she's also working with different material because here's here he's negotiating rights to monosodium glutamate. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's went Russian there for a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it's it is a bit like pastiche. I think it's kind of like you know her being basically kind of Fiona Volpe. Just this is sort of like the whole film is trying to be a greatest hits in a way. Um, or, or at least a combination of what people think Bond should be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's kind of more in 
in line with the the narratives of things like Armand Flint or you know um, some of the Matt like Matt Hell movies, kind of like a little less kind of cohesive. It's gone a little bit more fantastical, obviously with a giant volcano layer, um, rather than rather than kind of like trying to be more Fleming. And it's it's interesting that you know you go from this to a very tight film narratively right. with the uh, um, Imagine Secret Service. I think this is Helga's best look. Yeah, I love great, this. Great outfit. And this is the cheapest part of the whole film, I think. <laughs> yeah. This. Just terrible. There's a terrible shot coming up of her with the parachute and then the plane in the background. And now oh, we're yeah. over like what Surrey or something. Like this location is definitely not Japan. Well, well, also in right there, the back is the back window. It's like you can see all the blue stuff. It's like it's not filling in the way it's supposed to, or something. And, um. Oh yeah, it's 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 badly done. I was about to say reinforce one of Ben's points about being pastiche and all that. Uh, Roa Dahl did interviews where he talked about, uh, you know, he was talking to Broccoli and Saltzman and said, yeah, you know, Dahl is saying stuff. Yeah, you want uh, like a female interest you can run after and love and all that. He said, and that they supposedly replied, well, three would be better. And, and they out <laughs> outlined the three things like, you know, okay, one is uh, you know, Bond's ally and she gets killed. Uh, two is like on the bad side, she'll get killed. And then three is like the ultimate <laughs> female character. And she's the one he's with at the end. It is really so, weird that they tried to do this whole Bond and Akira couple. Like here in this scene, she's sort of like, you know, oh, you would never do that with such a horrible woman, would you? And it's it's sort of like he's playing away from her. And earlier on in the spa, when she comes in and uh-huh. they're suddenly really coupley, it's really strange relationship that they have that spawns out of nothing. <laughs> She just turned up. Yeah, no, she really does. Fully formed relationship. Hi, I'll be <laughs> your relationship this week. <laughs> it's interesting as well, this location, because they, one of the things that they said was, you know, for, for, for about doing the volcano layer was that they couldn't find uh, a, a comparable castle to shoot the, uh, the, the, the kind of the novelization. And that's when that's when Fleming got rumbled that he just made shit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, but here they are at a location which could easily pass for that. <laughs> that's right. So, <laughs> I, you know, we can't it, find a castle for the finale, but we've got one for this scene. Some, yeah, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere near that location, there's this little monument to the film. That's right. Um, it's got. You know, it's a it's a stone thing. I don't know how big it is, but I got a picture of it. This, and it's got this... uh, these signatures of Connery, Lewis Gilbert, and um, whoever it is plays Tiger Tanaka. Sorry, Calvin. Does this count as stop motion animation? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very tenuously. Uh... Do Oliver Brown do Q's shorts yet? <laughs> put in a request yeah, I've got to pay, pay like that for when I do the guard <laughs> also a uh, cue handkerchief to wipe the sweat off his brow yeah I don't go for the full calf sock though That's... oh James 
That's very colonial, <laughs> isn't it? That's very colonial. <laughs> I like his desert. Where, where's your dedication? <laughs> now, okay, here's this expensive helicopter, and they've got the cheapest little punch things for the lettering. <laughs> well, that, that kind of got mocked a little bit, inspected, didn't it? Little, uh... Yes. Yeah, yes. I do. I do like that. I'd love to see one of those uh, letter guns on Q's desk. Yeah, That's like right. they hadn't quite worked out what each button did, so they left it to the end to yeah. label them. And like they, they ran. You know, somebody from the prop department ran down to a pharmacy or grocery store and got one, and they came back and made the labels. I love those label makers. I wish they, I wish they yes. still uh, did I've them. Got one. I've got one on my desk. Ben, the Ben, they still make them. They're but a dyno or something. I've got one. No, but yeah. like the, the, they only kind of do like the hot printouts now. They no, no, I've still got them. Do yeah. they do the proper raised ones still? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I that's love not those. What they you, you don't follow. I mean, me, you don't follow me very closely on Twitter, then, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I did one oh, a few, no, few weeks ago. Yeah, but I thought that that was like a. I didn't think that was like a. a, a I thought it was an old one that you had, like no, a, like. I, a, what, you were, so what, so five five years ago, you thought I'd write 007 dossier to report JB Friends HQ immediate J. <laughs> I meant this classic label maker that you kind of bring out for special occasions. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, here we are in Spain, and. Japan and Spain. <laughs> so I think that back, like, so we're definitely in Japan now because that's not uh, that's not Spain. But um, but I love the I love the way they kind of like splice those two together. Like, sorry, I was on Amazon looking for one of those label makers. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're pretty awesome. Uh, I would definitely. I don't like. I like. I don't like the flat ones. It's got to be the raised. You know the yeah. I did raise on. one. Mine is mine. Mine are raised. Right. Ne- next time, next time I meet you, Ben, I will bring my label maker. <laughs> <laughs> right. well, David, just just to prove just to prove it, you're going to make one that says Ben Williams didn't believe I had this. Oh. Put it on Instagram. Oh. I just didn't believe it was like a, a thing that you could buy now. I'm well, I'm thrilled. I'm going to write MacBook Air and stick it on my. Well, going <laughs> yeah. go. Can I go back to the movie now? Uh, yeah. I was just going to. I was just going to raise the kind of boring. I was going to raise the point that you know if those helicopters had not bothered to launch, and instead <laughs> they let Bond like search around, well, it's they the probably as, would never have. Same as trying to shoot Bond down in Goldeneye when he's flying over the lake. It's like, well, you just told him where it is, yeah. and all of um, Drax's ladies luring him into the uh, the lair in Moonraker as well. Right? Yeah, because he's yeah, just out in the country really somewhere. He'd just been lost in the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> This of this, of course, was the sequence which which led uh, to the amputation of the foot of uh, John Jordan, the aerial cameraman. Yeah, um, I think I can hear David making a label. <laughs> I am. <laughs> That's our soundtrack. No music. Oh. It's great music. We get David clink, clink, clink. Maybe I should mute myself then. Maybe. <laughs> Oh, it is, it is a really nice little sequence, though. I think it's, um, I think it's a lot of fun. I know it's kind of, uh, I mean, to your, to your point, Bill, like, there is so many things that happen in this film that don't make any logical sense. It's kind oh, of yeah. like dream logic. 
Well, we'll we'll get into it even more in the climactic uh, sequence because there's all sorts of weird timeline things. If if you stop to think about it, which you probably shouldn't, um, but but when you've seen it fifty times, you well, can't. I mean, like the way that he starts off Japanese and then ends up not Japanese at the top of a volcano. Well, well like. <laughs> I'll I'll get to it at the, at the when we get to that part of the movie. But, uh. Can I say one thing about uh, uh, the dialogue in this scene? Something to look for the way that he describes Little Nelly. There's definitely a feminization mm-hmm. of the technology, oh, yeah. referring to Q, oh, yeah. the father, and then he talks about I can't remember the dialogue where he says, you know, Little Nelly was a good girl. Um, that you know, meant, what was it? Sorry. Improper advances. Improper advances and, stayed and sort up, of like true and upheld loyal. Upheld her honor. Upheld her honor. Thank I promise I know what it is. <laughs> it's just <laughs> gone today. But I think it's just, it's really interesting. And I think that that sort of reflects in some ways the dialogue or the dynamic between like good and bad women, right? This, this notion of being like a good girl or being like a good Bond girl is sort of like being with Bond and like upholding your honor. And, and, and villainous women in the 1960s tend to not do that. Mm-hmm. So I just, I think there's an interesting gendering uh, when it comes to the technology that just gets thrown in there. And I do like the gyro plane. I think that it's just, it's a, like, I guess I like, like a jet back jet packs and like gyro planes. Like I, yeah. I, I kind of like just these little devices that let you, let you fly around. Okay. So we are in Siberia, supposedly the part of Siberia mm-hmm. with palm trees. <laughs> um, <laughs> obviously you- another example of stock footage for this film. Mm. Does look like the Spectre Call Center. It does, yeah. doesn't it? I was just thinking that from uh, yeah, Christoph Waltz's uh, lair. Uh, British fans will recognise this guy, or, or slightly older British fans will recognise that guy from uh, a lower low. That's right. Uh, long-running comedy show. In- oh, it's after the Madonna with yeah, the big, the big boobies. Um, a show that you know was a sitcom based in Nazi-occupied Paris, which I think... French you know, resistance. On, on it's just like the place you go to for comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really, really quite quite bizarre that that ever got made at all. But there we go. It's better than Heil Honey, I'm Home. I was reading about that during the week. That's a whole other... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. No. It didn't get past the pilot, did it? Yeah, no, no, it, the first episode aired and the remaining right. five never saw the light of day. That's unbelievable. Well, I mean, it's, you know, all right. So Spectre does go to the trouble of changing the markings on the intruder missile, because I think this one will have some kind of U.S. marking, or now will have it's for the subterfuge because they've got all the other satellites filming these. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. At least these. At least the cosmonauts stayed inside. So they... I do like the um, the effort they made as well to kind of like the the, the spacesuits are pretty good. Um, I'm a I'm a bit of a fan of kind of movie spacesuits, and um, these are actually you know like the fact that they didn't just kind of do a, a uniform spacesuit for both sides they actually kind of went to the effort to right they just didn't change the flag on the lapel yeah exactly they're they're actually different suits differently designed you know and i like that i appreciate that um 
I like how they have to turn the rocket around rather than just wait for the Earth to turn around again. I yeah. mean, it's like we're gonna go. We got to go back to back to Japan. So turn the ship around. <laughs> we could wait another minute. <laughs> you say that this was before two thousand and one. Yeah. The year before, yeah. yeah. That's interesting because so, so so many of these shots feel like they should be two thousand and one inspired, where you do just have these quite long shots of these models slowly yeah. moving and all that. Very kind of nineteen fifties. This is very kind of um, you know forbidden. It's, B, it's B movie, yeah. Mm. Oh yeah, I, I was just going to say the forbidden. It's expecting as well, yeah. <laughs> Waiting for Robbie the robot to turn up at yeah, the crater. Yeah, I know. I, I, that's, exa- <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> I, we just need him in the in the uh, in the in the crater. It, it'd be perfect. Operating okay. the doors. And like, it was speaking of what Matt done, this whole thing is a foreground miniature. Yeah. Why the hell? You know, they genuinely because they don't real. They've got one basic camera setup that they don't shift around, right? So it could have been a foreground miniature. Yes, yeah, a locked off camera. Yeah, so and if I get, I would get it if you're moving around this space, but this could easily be done for a lot less than you know the million dollars that it costs anyway. Yeah, and talking of maps of James Bond, there's another good one on the wall there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I was about mm. to say yeah. Stock footage of the Pentagon, and I found out this week <laughs> that that monorail that they use in this film was uh, redressed construction equipment. Huh. That that laborers use to move bricks to sites, oh. so they just <laughs> painted it silver. You know what, that, this is a pretty impressive set here mm-hmm. inside the Pentagon, and it's like not even used that much. So yeah. it's like, you know, obviously after Thunderball, it's like, Ken, what do you, whatever you want to do, <laughs> you here's a check. It makes no sense either. They're so far away from those screens that I like, no wonder they're all squinting. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the lights just illuminate, like they're they're at, like. They're, they're at knee level if you stood up. <laughs> so they're just yep. illuminating your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Here we are, 1950s, Robbie the Robot. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's. It, I know we just said how great the effects were, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, this is a bit... But still, you know, I love this I love shot this. of the thing going down. Yeah, no, it's it's. I, I do really appreciate that so much of this is done for real and in camera and all that kind of stuff. I think there's a charm to it that CG effects just don't have. Elon Musk, just in the <laughs> background there. Now, supposedly you can see John Wyrick or however his name is, like a... Just a very quick glance of it, like he's lurks somewhere in... In the sequence, the original Blofeld, the yeah. Yeah. Casting. yeah. Huh. So we should mention that uh, the countdown guy is Michael Chow. Yes, who we interviewed for the magazine, now successful restaurateur. Ah. Mm. Uh, his famed establishment, and then the day after, Daniel Craig tried to get in, and they turned him away because they're too busy. <laughs> so I got in there, and Daniel Craig didn't. So it's <laughs> <laughs> also um, a influencer. Also, Bert, <laughs> yeah. uh, Bert Quark. Uh, who had been Mr. Ling and Goldfinger, and of course was uh, Kato in the Pink Panther movies with uh, Peter Sellers. Hmm. He's playing the same character in this. He's just kind of uh, got demotion. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I just love. I, I, I'm just going to start to like fangirl a bit, just about like the set and and everything that shot with inside this volcano. Um, 
again, some of the, the points of this movie, not a fan of, just sort of, I love the ending of this movie and the difference between sort of where the rockets are and then the control unit. And then of course you have like the third space, which I find incredibly interesting, which is sort of lower down and that's Blofeld's like, kind of like it's a like lagoon office. Mm. Yeah. And so I just, yeah. And I just like the use of levels here where you actually see like people moving up and down the use of colors. I mean, I'm just, I don't know. There's a lot here that, that is just visually intriguing and exciting to me. Yeah. I completely agree for, 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 you know, the, there's a lot of shots in this film. It's just long shots and long takes and all that kind of stuff. But I just marvel at this, mm-hmm. this space that this was built. This was a real thing. It's just incredible. And every single shot that you just, your eye can go so many places all over the frame, just looking at different details. I think it's such a rich and beautiful set. It's really fantastic that this was made. It's and then they had favorite. to tear it down when they were done. Hmm. And it does suck that they had to tear it down. Like, you you know, you when you talk about, like, the Fleming estate and, like, things that get saved, too bad they couldn't just, like, keep this and move it and just make it, like, a tourist attraction. Because, like, I would go and, like, walk around oh. this particular set and play with buttons <laughs> sure, and do yeah, things. It's, it's, the, it's the theme park, isn't it, that we all want to go yeah. to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the con- <clears throat> one of the concepts for, uh, was it Universal? Correct me, Bill. When um, I think it was Universal, yeah. Universal, they, they built... Yeah, it was. A, it's going to be a remake of the volcano set for the for the for the attraction, and they were going was to do going a to be live like, action stunt show kind of yeah, thing, like the Indiana Jones one that they have yeah. at like uh, oh, yeah, man, I would Disney right. Lose my shit. Blofeld's <laughs> got a portrait there. Is it famous or is it just a generic portrait? Mm-hmm. That's a good question, Bill. I mean, um, we we brought this up on on our chat earlier, right? Um, and. You know, I think it would have been a great opportunity to throw in something, you know, that might have uh, might have been famous or kind of stolen. Or, um, but if it if it has if it was, I think I I, I can't see it or I've missed it. It's it's it was on just for a second. I just um... no, okay. Here's interesting. Just like his tapestries. So. Mm, tapestries. I'm a Scottish lord. In Blofeld's <laughs> two prior appearances, one was Anthony Dawson's body and Eric Pullman's voice. He wore a suit, you know, suit yeah. and tie. And uh, here he's wearing his Nehru jacket look. He debuts the Nehru jacket look. Meanwhile, Woody Allen wears the same outfit in the 67 ca- uh, Casino Royale. Now, and the two movies were filming more or less at the same time. Yeah. It's like, did one movie steal the idea from the other? And, and I'm not presuming... Well, I mean, you can go back to, uh, I mean, what, what's that Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi universal film where Boris Karloff's also in a Nehru jacket? It's, it, it's sort of just, yeah, a trope at this point, I guess, that villains wear that because that's, you know, that's a foreign kind of clothing and we don't yeah, trust that. wears it as well, so maybe it's a tie-in to, to that. This mm. has got to be like one of the worst deaths. I mean, and, 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 and it would take quite a while in real life. Yeah. yeah, but even just yeah. to see like the way that she was moving her body to show that right. she's sort of being eaten, like that's, I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty gruesome way to go. Yeah. I don't think I want to die by piranha. I don't know why <laughs> smoke. I don't know why smoke emerges from the water, but <laughs> I want to be, be killed by being beaten to death by a baguette. Well, in in the <laughs> in, the, uh, in the script I got, she wasn't consumed by piranha she was like a, the bridge was over a pool of lava and she went into that 
Oh, that would make more sense. Uh, <laughs> Being a volcano. <laughs> and very so badly burnt. <laughs> so when you think about it, like like Blofeld actually has like kind of a moat and it's a moat full of piranhas. I don't know if the heat from like a lava stream might be a little bit too much, a little too much heat for Blofeld. He might melt. Um, but I just, <laughs> I, 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 I think it's that, fascinating. That a, a potential discussion that the designers were having with Blofeld as he was demanding I want a that's river right. of lava. Well, no, that's that's unfortunately cool. against building code here, so yeah. we're going to have to go with piranhas. Villain is building building code or a spectre building code. My building cousin, code. But, yeah, and, and the, the villain's building code doesn't have handrails anyway. Yeah. And, and where did they go to get the uh, building permits? Is there like the prefecture? Um. <laughs> this a hundred percent should have been Blofeld's cut, and not that I would ever want to not have the hollowed out volcano because as we say it is just a wonderful set but this whole idea that they couldn't find a castle and they're shooting at a castle just seems <laughs> well with a garden well yeah, <laughs> well a poison well, since, garden since you bring that up and a comment that uh someone asked on twitter i looked while we were on break um talking about you know this of course was the first time they throughout the main plot of the actual novel that it's quote based on unquote and why and and so this person on twitter asked why do we think that is and personally i think they well first of all i think one fleming was no longer with us and they didn't really have to worry about offending him and two i think uh i don't know i think they wanted to do another thunderball you know we talked earlier about how Karen Dorr looks a lot like Luciana Paluzzi. Um, you know, another Thunderball, just bigger, better. In your uh, judgment, whether it's better or not, but you know, in other words, more spec, you know, more spectacle. I don't know any thoughts for our uh, for our audience on oh, that. Yeah, question. it was it was wash, rinse, repeat, wasn't it? And by the way, I just wanted before we get past this this particular scene, I've always loved this scene. It reminds me a lot of From Russia with Love when you see how Spectre is actually being trained. And I love seeing, you know, Tiger Tanaka's agents being trained because we really don't see James Bond being trained or going through training exercises until like what Skyfall. Daylights? No, at least there's a training exercise at the beginning of the mm. Living Daylights. And then of course Skyfall going through this regimen. And I actually love seeing agents being trained and going through, you know, different sort of like fight fighting elements and what sort of weaponry do they have? It's just an element that I, that just attracts my eye. And so uh, before we get to bond and his problematic turning Japanese yellow face, that's going to happen in this film. Um, I do love like all of these spy elements and maybe this is one of the things that they could then invest in the film back to Bill's point by sort of like sort of pushing, you know, a, a prefabricated story to the side and really being able to say, let's take some of the best things of, say, some previous films and then put them together, you know, for our first sort of, you know, crack at making, you know, a more of an original Bond film. Well, also, I do think, you know, trying to adapt, you know, twice the novel would have been very difficult. I mean, a, quote, faithful adaptation. I mean, it would have been very, I think, Bill, you're absolutely right. You know, he's a, he's a, at the beginning of the, of the book, he's, he's a broken agent. He's not 007 through pretty much most of the book. He's 7777. He's really just doing a, a boring diplomatic job of trying to extract a code or, or you know, or, or, or negotiate 
intelligence basically so it's a, it's not the it's not the sexiest and yeah and at the end obviously it's just uh, him you know uh, on a personal mission of revenge so it's it, it's not an easy kind of adaptation to make it kind of cinematic i mean i i suppose you could do something like the 2006 casino royale where you graft on big chunks of a, another story onto the core Fleming yeah. story uh, I mean, but it's, it's, I mean, I know some Bond friends who they, they're still mad about this film all these years later, all these decades later, because okay. they, they feel that, it's uh, the same people who don't want to watch Roger Moore. Don't they? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually. Lisa, what do you feel about this? And have you talked about this in your class and stuff is like, does she only accept him as a lover when, it, when he's wearing his Japanese makeup? What do you think? Oh, that's I think the best I, professor that, answer. Well, I, I think that's the case. It, yeah, because we don't, I mean, but he did pick her up beforehand after the massage, but we don't actually see them in bed together. So we don't see a visual representation of them sort of in the same bed, taking the same bed. I think the really sad part about this is the fact that she dies for him. And yes. he quickly moves on and quote unquote marries or fake marries um, somebody else quite quickly and shows attraction. So whatever she's feeling, I'm not sure how much Bond is fully reciprocating it based on his quick turnaround to the next right. person. Also, she, she'll die when she, um, uh, she uh, licks her lips after the poison has dripped down the, that string. And it took me for the longest time to notice that in the main titles, one of the models did the same. Did the looking oh. of the lips thing? Oh, huh. interesting. Notice that right now. <laughs> this is a very cool assassination mm-hmm. weapon, though. Mm. And it's also Barry again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ben. I didn't interrupt. No, go ahead. But I was just going to say this also is again John Barry. This is one of his best scores. Mm. Uh, you could Majesty's might be better, but uh, there she's licking her lips and soon to be dead. Um, and the, and but and he's all and he, and he shows a lot of versatility with the score. I mean, this scene is very moody. It's quiet, um, but tense. Um, and then w- later, when we get into the you know the big climax, you know it's you know bombastic and mm. you know drives you through it. Um, I, I guess my stock line about this film is it might be the first time that the um, the whole is less than the sum of the parts. I mean, Ken, Ken Adams on his game, John Barry's on his game. It's photographed by Freddie Young, one of the most distinguished, you know, cinematographers in the British film industry. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to like about the film, but it's kind of like there's something off in the sense, you know, and maybe it's the, you know, the kind of copying from previous film part. Um, talk about that more when we're done, but. I think you're absolutely right, Bill. I think that this is, there is, everybody is pretty much at the top of their game. And we're seeing, you know, all this Japanese stuff is, is really great. We're, we're, we're really, you know, for, for an audience back then, this would have been very uh, fresh and exhilarating. But it does somehow, you know, it doesn't all gel, does it? It doesn't, some, it's somehow less than it should be. So you get stabbed in the kidney, you die instantly. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I take this over Thunderball any day of the week. This is one of my favorite yeah. Connery films. I think oh. it, uh, it, 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 yeah, I, I, I think it's, uh, yeah. like I, like I say earlier on, Thunderball's just him hanging out in the Bahamas. Here he's actually doing stuff. He's training. He's doing spy work. It's, uh-huh. we've got him in this pretty appalling Japanese makeup, uh, supposedly well, Japanese makeup. And uh, also yeah. for a film that's got a lot of spectacle, it does have these kind of actually let you catch your breath like this sequence. Mm. It's, it, I mean, I mean, I suppose you could call this a travelogue aspect, but I mean, you know, it, it does let you catch your breath and kind of set you up for the, you know, the big finish later. But uh, it's, you know, in other words, it's not just blaring at you loudly throughout the whole film. Mm. They've long impressed us. This this <laughs> scene's always been like. <laughs> so they're trying to fake the audience out a little bit, or they're trying to fake Connery out. Like, well, this could be a bride. No, don't worry. This could be a bride. No, don't worry. This could be a bride. No, don't worry. Oh, it's this one. She's cute. Okay. <laughs> oh, I forgot mm-hmm. to mention the actor playing Tiger. He had worked with Lewis Gilbert before in a film called The Seventh Dawn. So uh-huh. that pro- so that probably helped get him the job. Uh, the Seventh Dawn was it starred William Holden, but it also had a Maurice Bender main title. Um, I saw it once on TV. I, I can't really tell you much about it, but, uh, but yeah, he's in it, and so that connection with Lewis Gilbert, uh, probably like I said, probably helped get the get the gig. Mm. Bill, I have a question uh, because you you know the scripts of these things. Was there a draft where Kissy was actually named in the film? Because here, you know, we obviously we never hear the character's name, which is quite strange. Mm. I think you know, you know, I don't have the script in front of me. I think she was at least. Well, at least I think it says like you know the the way dialogue is presented. You know, with the character name and the line, it's you know Kissy. You know, I think it did say Kissy. In mm. fact, the version that I have, you know, Aki was still Suki. Uh, they, mm. they changed to Aki because of the switching of the actresses. And, you know, her name was Akiko. Mm. And so they just made her Aki. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, she asked to be changed. She asked. Right. To be, yeah. Right. In the new season of Married at First Sight. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> this and, is how and, it started. And, and, and oh, again. Man. If it, you know something labeled an action movie today, you would have the sequel. I mean, this has like gone on for a few minutes now, and yeah. it's, and 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 I find it interesting. I you know I, I'm not, that's not a criticism at all, but like mm. I I just can't imagine having a break in the action of this length in a movie made is, today. This is supposed to be kind of bolstering his cover, right? Right. Yeah. Like. Does does this in any way service his cover? Do you know what I mean? Like how um, how does going through this whole process allow because, him to? She has a cover as as one of the the fishing girls, I guess. I mean, I guess you know he could just couldn't he just get on the boat dressed? Yeah, he is without right. having to go through this whole ceremony. Right. Instead, of... we wouldn't have that John Barry music. <laughs> well, <laughs> in which of... case, it's worth it. So, um, but I just to get back to that point, I always thought oh. that that was more for us, the audience. Like yeah, right. we're is, never yeah, going is, to go to Japan, and so it's showing showing us aspects of culture and identity. Right. And it, these might be stereotypical, and they might have no grounding in reality. But I think right. it's more for us and getting sort of the, the sense of Japan or Japanese. I think this is, I think this is a spot that that plinth has been erected. 
Yes. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it was, you're right. You're right. It's because of uh, the picture I have, you can kind of see the bay in the background. Of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what, what, what happened was uh, a, a guy I knew, you know, former journalist now, an academic, and he had a, you know, he, he used to work in the Far East as a foreign correspondent and a friend of his lived there and contacted him. And basically my friend put me in touch with him and he had this photo. He wanted to know more about it, about the movie and thought I might be interested. I said, yeah. So they sent me a copy of the photo and I ended up doing a post about it. And that was several years ago. So basically he went through all of this just to get past those two guards <laughs> at the top, who, who even then kind of just raised an eyebrow and were like, hmm. <laughs> like, looks like a Scottish guy. Yeah. We'll let it go. We'll let it go. Well, it's not well, my look, business. I heard, that, I heard that he got married, so it's probably true. Anyway. Weddings and funerals oh, in the Chase One so series. We, and of course we gotta have a cliche about oysters now. Also, and I think this is something that you know Lisa can comment on, is you you occasionally get uh, female characters who turn around and say things like, you know, Carrie Lowell does it, uh, when she's like, oh, obviously we're not gonna be sleeping in the same bedroom and it's it's done with vesper as well when she said oh you know for appearances sake we'll be sleeping in two different rooms or mm -hmm. you know and, and and she here is saying well you know it's only a cover that we're not actually going to sleep together um there is often that kind of play on the assumed um you know intercourse that's going to happen i suppose is for, for one of them this is not creepy at all right well, I mean, he's, he's just washing he's, asleep. <laughs> he's, he's, he's all hot and ready to go. It's like, well, so, so long, Aki. Now it's been a couple days. <laughs> so he's had that convincing Japanese makeup put on him. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's close the closer. Yeah. Oh, man. But I do, I think back to your point, I do find it interesting that there are these moments where you have agents who are saying like, this is professional, this is my job, you know what I mean? Like that there is no sex that's going to happen uh, between us. And I think that that, that's, that offers sort of a balance to the other women that end up sleeping with Bond. I mean, if he's, I know that he's supposed to be a man with magnetism, but I think it is very unrealistic to think that you could be a professional agent and, and you sleep with everybody, like absolutely everybody. You look at somebody and you're going to go to bed with them. I don't think that, th I think that that's just unrealistic. So I like well, that there's a counterbalance to some, some say yes, some say no, some want to maintain professional relationships until there's some sort of maybe eventually all these women do sleep with them, but well, that, until there's like I'm, a relationship. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, Lisa. It's like, it isn't, it isn't done to give them agency necessarily. It's done to make them more of a conquest. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, to to kind of illustrate how Bond actually has to do a bit of work this time. Here we are with Diane Cliento, uh swimming, and, and, all, and also uh, Lamar Boren's wife, um, who had been Domino's double in Thunderball. She she doubles somebody in this sequence. Oh, I didn't know that, Bill. Huh. Yeah, it's uh, it's in that uh, to tell the truth appearance she was on. She says she was in huh. two James Bond movies. So in '67, there had only been two movies with any underwater sequences. So it has to be here. 
Huh. That's interesting. I love the fact that the cave only has gas on the way in. Not on the way out. Not on the way out. So, <laughs> you know, because you can, the gas I didn't mean was it. exhausted. I, I think it's that um, you know when they were when they were doing the costing and they presented it to Blofeld, right. uh, they just went, "Look, it's you know if you make it one way, we can cut this in half." Oh man! Oh, and Connery's hairpiece is kind of durable, although kind of revealing. <laughs> It stayed stuck to his head, but yeah, kind of wavy there. And now he's not Japanese. Yeah, yeah. How far makeup has come over these years now? It's water resistant. How, how like so? He's pretty much he's basically Japanese at this point, right? By the time they make their way up to the top, he's completely reverted back to. Well- well, someone told me that the makeup comes off when he's in the water. So, uh, okay, well, he, uh, yeah, wait, it's gone. Is, yeah, it looks like it's, yeah. Okay, now here's the other thing as this unfolds. So as we're about to see, it makes it look, it makes it appear as it takes the better part of a day to go from there, get up to the top of that volcano. Right. It's a look, yeah. Yeah, but later it's like he sends her to go get Tiger and it's like they're back in a not too long. Which well, just rolls down. <laughs> just goes into a ball and just rolls down and she's there in 10 minutes. I have a question about costuming. So she is yeah, in a altitude. white... She's in a white bikini, obviously body on display, you know, kind of reminiscent a bit of Honey Rider. And he's wearing... He's fully clothed. And then when we get to like when he's going to go and infiltrate, is he wearing like a spy suit underneath that? Yeah, I think he yeah, takes allegedly. it off. And it, so he's wearing literally two layers of clothing and <laughs> she's comfortable in a bikini. And except it's something. It, what was that? I, I'm sorry. I was about to say, except for the shots where they, he obviously does not have on anything on underneath. <laughs> because if you like, yeah, look, like this, whole, goes, this whole idea that he was, you know, um, prescient enough to know that he was going to mm-hmm. need to wear that outfit is just—it's ridiculous. And obviously, and also the fact that he's clearly not wearing it at this point. Yeah. You know? Um, it's one of those things about this film, and I mentioned it before. I think it follows a kind of a dream logic, where you know things happen and you accept them, but you know on close scrutiny, they they just don't make any sense. Because we're about to see him go, they're going to get up to the, overlooking that, uh, what the, well, fake water. So it's like, and then they go down, but then when they reach it, it's night. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like. It's a long way down there, Bill. Yeah. And, and be real and, careful. And also. That's just scree at this point. And in, and in a previous scene, Tiger said that the U.S. Uh, rocket launch was going to be at midnight their time. So, okay, so now they're going down, and it's still daylight. And here we are in the big room. They have big a room. room. They've got, they've <laughs> still there. Yeah. <laughs> They've never gotten up. Maybe they got still takeout. Maybe they still, have I guess that one guy likes to wear his uh, same suit every day. It's a black his, suit. His and legs are numb. Pins and needles. Okay, so here's an American rocket launch, and there's no palm trees. Wait, why? Why didn't they switch that footage? Right, right. Right. I mean, I I doubt that's 
that matches Siberia, but it like would have been a lot closer. <laughs> My God. I okay, suppose so- this, this time a lot of a lot of launches were happening, but it just sort of feels like fairly unusual, I guess, that that would be this week we're doing one and we're doing another one. And, you know, the Soviets, I guess it was kind of that sort of era. But... Well, I do remember actually in real life, the U.S. really did put up two, two shots, two rocket launches uh, within days of each other because right. the whole the whole point was to have one go up and be up for like two weeks and the other was supposed to just go up and be able to maneuver to uh lock in other words it was all of this was a um um oh i'm sorry all of this was a dry run to do the kinds of things you'd have to do on a moon launch so right. in other words they did put up two, sh- two anyway i'm sorry i'm repeating myself basically they did do the, this launch basically to show that two space capsules could actually join which was necessary to do a moonshot right i didn't yeah i mean i guess in the context of the film it sort of feels like that you know the 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 number of rockets that are going up but if there's i guess historical precedent for it so it makes i guess it makes sense it just you know whenever i see it i always kind of thought like wow they're doing it one another one (laughs) yeah well you know in um I don't, know, I don't know in Moonraker the uh, the Americans get their shuttle up pretty quick once yeah. uh, Bond and uh, Holly Goodhead uh, disable the radar jamming. Yeah, she's about to roll down right now. <laughs> <laughs> he also had those. Look at the, the entire gear he brought. He brought a hat. He had those the whole time. The knee suction thingies. Like where was yeah. that on his person? In his Did you get those from Amazon? Do you think? Yeah, you probably can. She, uh, with my label maker, I'll get one of those. And they had to be changed into this outfit. Um, just to be kind of like, yeah, a little bit of a little something different. Like if you had uh, a knapsack or like a, like a bag, I would be like, yeah. okay, well then that makes sense. He's got like his spy case, you know. This is yeah. This, this is this, just this, a lot of stuff. Yeah, the, these suction caps are great. It's just like take that, Tom Cruise. I think they just. <laughs> I think they just took those off plungers. Yeah, it looks like it. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I think I've read that somewhere. It's like that was part of the, you know, the costuming. They got plunge, you know, took the cups off plungers and put them on this. I don't know. God, it's a nice set. And, uh, you know, I know I said before it's a static shot, but we do actually get a few uh, different kind of um, angles, which is good. It's just, I guess it's that iconic open shot that kind of, always throws me but it's nice to kind of actually be getting a sense of geography of this place now as we're moving the camera around a bit ah the monorail so cool i want to ride on one yeah everyone should have a monorail everyone should go on a monorail at least once in their life i think I don't think i've lost my <laughs> okay, that was, that was such a good sentence. <laughs> I think the theme park is just gonna be amazing. Like you know, like you're gonna have a monorail running right through the theme park. It has to be a monorail, right? Yeah. And you're gonna be going through. Like, I I think this whole I I think such a missed opportunity to do the you only live twice stunt show. Like 
come on, who wouldn't? I would, I would go three hundred times to see that. Right. Whenever you've got a monorail in Bond as well, there's always a convenient amount Top of space. Top all in. Do we want to fill this up? No, leave a barrel empty so that. Well, well, Bond and Top all ins, I think they're his best disguise in the series. Yeah. <laughs> he never gets busted under a Top all in. POV shot. It's, you know. You see, this is what they should have done more of. They should have had more handheld tracking footage and stuff. I agree. It would be nice to kind of mm-hmm. move move around within that set as a as like from a person's point of view to kind of get the scale of it. And I mean, shit, this is a almost identical in the spider of me. This bit. I mean, the, yeah. the the framing, the door, the where the monorail is, everything. Yeah, yeah. they they. It's, I was about. To, I'm sorry. I was about to say it's not a tarpaulin. It's a, a cloak of invisibility. Yeah. Mm. Look at that Doctor. monorail car. So cool. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, we were fine. No, we were just hanging out. No, we're good. It's strange that these guys are left alive. Like you would think. Like why would they? Yeah, bother to do that. But yeah. Mind. I guess murder is not part of Spectre. What is it? Special. Mm. Specialism. Yeah. There's revenge. I, I only remember revenge. Terrorism, revenge, and extortion. I know what question to use for the tiebreaker in a future quiz now because you all don't know it. Special executive for <laughs> counterintelligence. Executive. Counterintelligence, terrorism, revenge, extortion. I just remember yeah. revenge. It's such it a is, terrible is it, acronym, is it, isn't is it? it? Is it revenge, revenge, comma extortion, or were they not a fan of the Oxford comma spectrum? <laughs> <laughs> because remember, in Doctor No, Bond says, "Oh, you know, well, I'd like to work in the uh, revenge department. Yeah. Then I'd have to find the guy who killed Strangway." Not the exact line, but yeah, yeah I'm working in the revenge I, 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 department. I, I, I work for the extortion, <laughs> extortion department because I could take five percent. Ooh, <laughs> see, that's why you're a smart one. I just want okay. to get rid of that. If they yeah. called it Spectrum, it could be the Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, terrorism Revenge, and Underwater Murder. Oh, very good. Very, yes. very good. That's our villainous organization. We'll be Spectrum. Even before it's the name of the villainous organization, the word Spectre does appear in a few Fleming novels. He quite clearly yes, had a, some affinity villain. for the word. In, in, in yeah. fact, the, the, the Lector it was originally called the Spectre code machine in front of mm-hmm. right. yeah, 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 and, you. Yeah, and Spectreville in Diamonds Are Forever. The, yeah. And um, Spectrum's got a really good... Spectrum's got a really good evil tint to it, David, because in the US it's a cable company. Okay. <laughs> That's the their way, cover. That's their cover that- in the United States is bad customer service. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Can we just like before – I know we're going to hit that mo- moment and I'll probably forget it. Like give my little shout out to the cat in this film. Yeah. Uh, oh, my for God. For the <laughs> thing that the cat does and when there's an explosion, the cat like loses its shit and wants to run away and like the actor's well, very it, good about holding it. So it does run away, Lisa. You may not know this, but it – disappeared it got so frightened that it Aww. ran away and hid in the rock and they found it days later in the, <gasps> in the rock of the set. oh my um, gosh it also it also caused some it also uh, pissed on donald pleasance yeah <laughs> that was the one i was trying to think of a nicer way to say it james but that's basically yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. 
Is there any truth to the uh, the story that the handler of the cat sued the production company because yep. this cat was making a nice little learning out of going yep. on cat food commercials and yeah, that kind and of thing? Had, and yeah, PTSD about volcanoes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no more volcano commercials. I don't like cats, so I don't care. But oh, um, oh. oh, all right. Sorry, I thought we were all dog people on this no, podcast. I'm, totally I'm, I'm with you, Calvin. I'm, I'm with you, Calvin. <laughs> You wouldn't see dogs treated like this in a Bond movie, would you? No, no, I want them peeing freely in the streets. Peeing freely, that's right. (laughs) Not cowering in Donald Pleasance's arms. Dogs can can go in scanners, but... Oh, I can't remember the other thing. Anyway. Yeah, it's a shame that the cat kind of got so freaked out by it, but, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm I'm glad that it's kind of... It was all right in the end, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's dead now, so. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Calvin, for somebody who's going to earn his living as the voice of a cat, I think you should be more appreciative. <laughs> <laughs> right? He's going to well, kill them all off. Can, can, Calvin, can you say? Can you can you do a voice of what the cat's thinking while he's being held by Blowfield? Oh, look at that man over there. Oh, oh, that's very nice. <laughs> Oh my god, I love it. Hello. He didn't carry his air conditioner properly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that's just perfect. (laughs) I'm just waiting for Calvin to do the rest of the scene on his own. (laughs) (laughs) The Blofeld's cat one-hander. Oh my god, you're so good at it. Oh gosh! I love Donald Pleasance in this. By the way, mm-hmm. he's just uh, yeah, I think he's great. I love I like him in how, everything. I like yeah. how we we give you know Christoph Waltz crap for the way that he revealed he was Blofeld, but I just like to point out to everybody that Blofeld re- reveals himself here by peeking behind somebody's ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't say cuckoo, <laughs> but it's more menacing, isn't it? Than well, even though he's, you know, in front of somebody, behind somebody's crotch. Well, the uh, stage directions are pretty interesting as well. Um, camera reaches Blofeld's face, and what a face it is. We see reflected therein all the evil in the world. The eyes, greatly magnified behind steel-rimmed pebble glasses, are like the eyes of an intelligent octopus, all black with no whites around them at all. The skin of the cheeks is pockmarked. The ears protrude slightly. The jaw, I don't know what that word is. Camera stays close on face. Sounds pretty horrific. Yeah. Mm. Can we just oh, talk about how, how ineffectual a, a, a henchman Hans is um, in terms of like making any kind of, you know, he's, he's just one of those guys that definitely doesn't make your top 10 list of Bond henchman, does he? His name is Hans. I didn't even know that. It's Hans, right? Am I right? I'm. No, you yeah, probably yeah. are. Yeah. I, he, but I. It's just to like add to your point. Like he's so unmemorable. Right. That like I I blink and all of a sudden he shows up and I'm like, what? Who are you? Who's that dude? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's my feeling. I didn't know he had a name. Yeah. He he's like a sort of a committee hench person, like right. The audience like Red Grant. They like Odd Job, right? So right, what we right. need 
is a silent, yeah. tall, blonde man. Yeah. Get that. That we're not going to introduce. Yes. It comes back to that whole pastiche thing, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. kind of like mm-hmm. throwing things together. Um, Yes, after the failure of this mission, Spectre got all of the, they deleted all their German henchmen from their phones, so they went hands free. Oh, oh, I would hit you right now if I was with you. That's. It does the washing up for him. Hands that does dishes. It's as as soft as your vase with Margaret and hairy lip squid. (laughs) The hairy lip squid, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I, I love the fact that probably only James and I know that joke. <laughs> That'll be a yes. Milking, hairy lips, um, Good well, climax, this. Love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm getting very excited for this. It is one of the most beautiful looking Bond films. Like I know obviously Roger Deakins' Skyfall gets a lot of, uh, uh-huh. quite rightfully gets a lot of praise, but I think this is just phenomenal. Like some of yeah. the stuff earlier on with Bond and Kissy, like going through the mountains and stuff, it's just phenomenal. Uh-huh. Yeah, this it's back such a back beautiful Majesties is just cinematography in the 60s at its peak, isn't it? These mm, two. Yeah. That's true, actually. Yeah, yeah. Do we think that um, No Time to Die is going to finally give us the big showdown that we we've all kind of like with this reversion to the kind of like these big spectacular um finales or do you think it's just going to be bond and uh nomi with video game shooting yeah style, do we, do we feel like we're going to get some infiltration i feel like the stakes are going to be sort of the same mm-hmm. um in this, you know, in in uh, no time to die, it's going to, you know, it's got yeah. Like, but the difference is, uh, it's only those two infiltrating the layer, whereas here we've got an equal number against an equal number, mm-hmm. the same as. Yeah. Spider-Man. that's what I was going to say. Like, wouldn't it? Would would we not want to see one of these kind of climatic, climactic kind of uh, showdowns between a, a, like a force of of good and bad? Yeah. Center versus. You know, wanna, another cool yeah. map on the wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The problem with those things always is that you, you know, the, the 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 obvious note is, do we lose Bond in this? And I think, I mean, to be honest, like this and Moonraker are probably examples of Bond isn't even involved much in the final fight. It's between sort of just good guys and bad guys. I think Spy Who Loved Me incorporates Bond really well into the action. Yeah. Um, and then the, uh, no, actually not in the living day. Likes he spends most of that just trying to get a plane over a like a little wedge, doesn't he? No, uh, <laughs> not that one, but. But I'd like to see one of some of these kind of, you know, these these kind of big climactic final bite, final fights. I think it would be really kind of, um, you know, be good to see in in a, in a kind of a modern era. Mm, yeah, I think there's, you know, you know, they go, they're gonna use their um, hose pipes. So, it's, like, are they attached? Did, did they attach it to the metal rafters? Is that what we're supposed to believe? The pipes? The, the, oh, no, the they, use, um, they, they use garden hose on the rope. And then when you twist the rubber of the garden hose, it acts as a brake on the rope yeah. when you come down. Oh, okay, and okay. so that's the only thing they had to slow down when they're yeah. falling. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No wires, nothing. That was it. Just twist yeah, they, the, they twist literally the hose. Did those for real. <laughs> 
it's kind of kind of crazy i mean what is it like uh you know over 100 meters right or something 100 feet at least oh you'd be dead you'd probably be dead Mm -hmm. you drop you die I love also the something you know that's kind of very sixties and very bond is the is the purple flash of the explosion i do i do you know you don't get that anymore in in movies, obviously because that's not what happens in in real life but i just i do like that it's a very kind of sixties pyrotechnic isn't it to have mm-hmm. people jump off springboards behind a a purple flash. Oh, tractor. Yeah, very important. That's actually a David Brown tractor, so. Oh, yeah. okay. Aston Martin. <laughs> a, a, D, a DB something, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the people that built the uh, the volcanoes threw it in there as like a completion <laughs> bonus or something. <laughs> you get to keep the tractor. So he can plow his fields outside the volcano. Either that, that uh, they forgot to, you know, they sealed it up before they realized, oh, we've left it in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like those memes that you see where people paint the floor and they're standing in the corner of the room they can't get out so. <laughs> yeah they could only get it out through the the poison gas tunnel so they just decided to leave it <laughs> it's actually what a it? pretty cool action sequence mm. yeah. it's nicely choreographed i would watch this over the thunderball underwater sequence I mean, even the single gantry leading up to the control room is—it's just the spider me carbon copied. Yeah, all of this, and it's easy to tell the difference between the sides because one's wearing gray and the other's wearing very brightly lit clothing. So makes easy targets. And there's the cat. Let me go. Let me go. (laughs) That is a traumatized cat. Oh, it is a traumatized cat. Oh my god, poor little thing. Although I do wonder why um, Kissy Suzuki is not wearing more clothing. Everybody else seems to come in gray and fully clothed head to toe, and she's still like kind of bathing suitish. White. New York, she had an Tokyo, opportunity to Moscow, Greenwich. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I never noticed uh, Blofeld's candles there. That's very uh, Hammer Horror. Oh, that poor cat. I mean, that cat is genuinely traumatized here. Like it's yeah. I'll just fire off some blanks from a gun right next to its ear. That's not going to upset it. And it's gone. It's yeah. gone. There we go. Can't find it anymore. Why, why wouldn't you just shoot Bond there? Like, you're right. going to go and sit at your monorail and have this be your moment, but he was right there. You had the gun directed towards him. Why take the chance for, like, this emotional the, the moment? Because the movie would be over. I know. <laughs> monorail. <laughs> I don't get the the point of the dome on the monorail when they're inside. No, I, I don't mean, know. In case no, the Alex type something, I guess, but you know, maybe rocks could fall on you. I don't yeah, know. exactly. Or a ninja could drop on your head. Oh, Hans did something. He burst through the paper. <laughs> like Daniel <laughs> Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get up there. That's um, why these stolen paintings are never found, because they always get burned up in the villain's lairs. That's why we don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He goes full Scottish at this point. <laughs> you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't 
try to hide his accent. Just he leans he leans into it quite a lot here. And he gets excited. I think that does actually happen. Like I've been told that my Canadian accent comes out a little bit more when I get very animated. It's a lot of a boots. <laughs> <laughs> People who play volleyball with me always want me to call the ball out. So I keep <laughs> and they always start laughing and I'm like, I didn't mean for this to happen. Oh man. This would be a great uh, you know, like when they made uh, Goldeneye for the N sixty four, this this would have been one of the locations you would have wanted to to have rather than say mm. Aztec or whatever. Oh, that painting there, that's what I want to find. Mm. It's a cool painting. I've never actually noticed it before. I just wish that Hans was given more of a substantial story, so then this fight actually makes sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, or that it meant something at least. Yeah. Like he is just an obstacle to be overthrown. There's nothing really. Yeah, I'm not it's invested. Like, you know, yeah, comparing it to From Russia with Love, which is obviously what they're going for here, and you have that whole build up with Grant oh. really sort of relishing, you know, yeah. taking the Mickey out of bond and all that kind of stuff. Here, yeah, there's none I've of completely that. Completely forgotten it about could, this fight, though. If it could have been the Rock's granddad still if he hadn't killed him in the first scene. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, like this would be his chance at yeah. redemption against Bond. Right, right. And then you could, you, you, there would be a history there and therefore it would kind of be ramped up a bit. Yep. This guy is big though. I mean, Connery's like 6'3 or something. And Well, that was Bob Simmons, I think, wasn't it? Where he just went over? Oh, I guess so, yeah. Bon Appetito. But he's, still, he's still a big dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. God, you're absolutely right. That should have been lava. Ugh. Yeah, I'm really like, no, I've never thought of that before. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, that makes so much more sense. No. I bet it was something to do with the effects. So like, it'd have to be a visual, you know, a post-production thing. And then they probably just thought, ah, oh, no, I just... God, there's, <laughs> a, there's a lot of crash zooms in this movie. Mm. <laughs> Somebody react. So you know crash. something exciting's happening. Yeah, raise an eyebrow, crash zoom. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of um, jump cuts as well, and kind of. <laughs> like a, a huge piece of tension just about like turning a key. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Bond, you can do this. Oh, oh finally. You turned the key. You had another chance to do the 007 thing, and you didn't do it. Yeah. We can get up now. We don't have to, we don't have to sit in these chairs anymore. It's okay. delayed. Repeat. No time to die is delayed. <laughs> Meanwhile, the monorail is still running full service to schedule. We are operating, we are operating a good service on the volcano line. And no, no layer is no layer is uh, complete without a self destructor switch. Oh Another key. God. There are a lot of keys in this base. Yeah. Yeah. Blofeld would be going around with like a janitor's like ring of keys on his uh, belt. <laughs> if he couldn't find the right one, and he had like a second to go, and he's fumbling through, like, oh, that's the storage unit. No, <laughs> James, James, do you think we could like create a underground map for like yeah the, the volcano? The, the, well, not just the volcano, but for every um, every monorail line, and we could do it like a London Underground map. He could check the service, and you know. You know, one would be like one would be the Stromberg line, and one would, and you could just have like, 
God, that's a like, look at that, like little rats escaping from a ship. It's not very deep, is it? I mean, you know, you don't make that kind of splashiness if, like, it looks like they're kind of like wading out. Who radioed? <clears throat> who radioed ahead to the, for the planes? <laughs> mm. I guess I saw the volcano blowing up. Hey, we better fly out there. I guess they saw Thunderball and thought we need to have someone on standby with a raft. <laughs> just, do, just do more. Like Thunderball before. Um, three rafts instead of one raft. Mm. It's a shame that we lose Tanaka in this as well. Like he's just completely, yeah. he's been quite a substantial character in this. Yeah, what, what he is just gone. Yeah. He doesn't get a, yeah, you're right. It does feel wrapped up rather quickly. Um, Yeah, and you, even even Blofeld's escape is kind of like. Now apparently, all the other rafts have been picked up, right? Except their raft. (laughs) Hmm. That honeymoon. It's also like a great deal of time has passed, and Bond picks it up as if it's like ten seconds later. (laughs) Like, well, that's that. Well, yeah. Well, again, you know, the rocket went off at midnight their time. It must have been like the very early dawn when they got out of there and this looks like high noon you know just that's a weird choice of jump cutting um yeah it does look cold there doesn't it it does oh but at least money penny gets to stand up there she is (laughs) oh money penny there you are go sit down please (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing don't leave your desk Nobody told you to sit down. Yeah. Indiana Jones just on the top, trying to find a way in. Um, it, uh, I mean, it, it's wrapped up just so fast. Mm. You, you, you know, it's, it, it kind of, it doesn't, because it's such a quick wrap up, it doesn't give you that sense of satisfaction. You don't, I mean, there, there aren't really any loose ends necessarily, but it, it would be nice to kind of have a decompression at the end a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Actually, after all of that quite high octane action, uh, it is, uh, yeah, it is all wrapped up rather quickly. Um, yeah, it is nice though. I mean, yeah, I mean, it is a, one of the bonds that's under two hours. Uh, I think it's quite economical. Well, and apparently there was a, there was a rough edit or first edit of like, four hours supposedly i've read that like i can't imagine what how could you uh, fill up four hours they filmed the divorce um, (laughs) for like two and a half hours they filmed that bit from the novel where uh kissy suzuki goes to the sex shop to get the uh toad viagra or whatever it is that uh they in the credits they call the russian spacecraft people astronauts not cosmonauts mm. Mm. Hmm. Well, that's not good yeah yeah I, I wonder though in if in 1967 they made that distinction uh yeah between... oh yeah they did absolutely oh yeah oh yeah yeah that's it was the cold war it was the yeah trust me it's i grew up on that stuff cosmonauts is a more accurate description yes it is Mm. Um, so i put out questions for everybody on uh, twitter 
about this film and uh, everybody's been slightly distracted um, Mm -hmm. with the delay of No Time to Die, which happened in real time whilst we were recording this. Yes, I got a call from a Bond friend in the middle of the podcast. I've had more uh, consolation like messages than like if like relatives have died or something. I'm getting like messages from all kinds of people saying like, I'm so sorry for your loss. (laughs) And I was trying to do an emergency post and like WordPress isn't letting me. The, the hmm. funny thing is, uh, talking about the punch tape, I'd actually uh, punched a message out in tape for the delay. <laughs> <laughs> you jinxed us. Well, it not. was you. Send your message. It, it was going to happen. I think I, I'm on record a few well, times. Needless to say, yeah. Needless to say, we have no questions because <laughs> oh. everybody's everybody's struggling to deal with. Uh, well, there we are. can I can I do my quick roll of doll spiel then? Yeah, please do. So I was about to say, um, roll of doll had not done that much in the way of screenwriting prior to this film. Uh, I was taking a look uh, this afternoon before we recorded, and like I found that he did uh, a half hour teleplay adapting one of his own stories on Alfred Hitchcock Presents, um, which that show also bought the rights to five other of his stories, but. He only did the one in terms of a script, and you know, it, I don't know. It's uh, doesn't. Uh, so I, it, I, I'm curious how they ended up selecting Dahl. This was also the first Bond film in the Eon series not to have Richard Maybaum involved. So I wonder if having you know, sort of uh, Ben talked about the patish kind of uh, aspect of this movie. I'm wondering if that was. The result of having a couple screenwriters who not had no experience on Bond films and not that much experience in the espionage uh, realm at that. I mean, Harold Jack Bloom, the first one, he had mostly done westerns and crime dramas. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But like I said, Roa Dahl was just kind of an unusual choice. Yeah, it, it, he, he is an unusual pick. And I I don't know whether he was necessarily even a much of a screenwriter before this. So you know what a what an unusual way to go with such an important franchise. You know. Yeah, and also the hiring of Lewis Gilbert's director, who hadn't directed a major budget movie like this before. Yeah. Right. So they, they rolled the dice on the scriptwriter and the director. Um. And, you know, Lewis Gilbert famously turned it down, so they didn't think he could do it. And then Cubby Broccoli reverse psychology did by saying, well, the audience, I want the audience to see you fuck it up. Yeah. So we signed on to do it. So they, they, they gambled big on this one, creatively. Well, you could argue, yes, they gambled on the people, but they didn't really gamble creatively because they just took the greatest hits package, right? Yeah, I suppose. I suppose I mean there is a you know when they when they did the same thing with Spy Love Me you know they kind of almost put the script out to tender in a way um I think there are I mean obviously the there are a lot of parallels between the two films um but again you you get that sense that it's kind of a greatest hit hit package rather than a um you know, and, and, and both You Only Live Twice and Spy are, are very entertaining films, you know, to while away a, a kind of an afternoon with. Um, I enjoyed watching it today. 
Um, but it is, I think, not necessarily the the best written um, of the bunch. It doesn't stand up to much scrutiny, does it? it really doesn't. No. Logic of the film. The rules within the world of the film don't really add up either. No, and that's that's another thing as well. I think it's an important thing to kind of point out, James. You know, it's one thing to have kind of like crazy things happen in a film, but as long as it follows its own internal logic, you can kind of allow it to happen. The fact that this this doesn't even follow its own internal logic makes it even kind of stranger, really. But I you know, I, I've I've mentioned it twice already, but it feels like a dream. You know, it just feels like, oh yeah, that's that's happening right now, and the audience will just accept that. You know, and what well, is that even? Um, it taken from the haiku, even. Yeah. Right. Do we have anything really kind of that we want to um, ask ourselves about this film? Um, you know, do we? Did we all enjoy it? Oh, yes. Um, if we're doing like wrap ups, um, I can go. I really like this one. This is one of my very favorite Connery Bonds. And I know that it is kind of sort of like taking what was done before and then future films might have improved upon it, uh, some aspects of it. But I think it's, it's just a really good time. It's Bond doing actual spy stuff. It's got such a, fan a fantastic scale. I think the action's really good. Like all the supporting characters, it's, it, it, it's one of the ones that I really enjoy. Um, and it moves along at a good pace as well. I always think that the volcano lair is like the big third act reveal. It actually appears like not long after, I think it's like an hour into the film or something like that, which is uh, fairly impressive. And same with Little Nelly. I always think that that whole sequence is like much later on in the film than it actually is. Uh, so yeah, I think it's very well paced. I think it's it, it's good cinematic entertainment. It definitely doesn't make sense on paper, but a good time nonetheless. Yeah, well, I, I was talking with Calvin uh, before we were watching, and uh, it, it, I was looking forward to seeing it. I, I can't, can't remember the last time I, I watched it, and uh, it, it is one that I, I do usually quite like. But th this time, uh, I had a bit of a, a problem uh, holding my attention on it, and uh, it, it wasn't because of the news that was that was happening while we were recording. It happened before that, and it's just. Uh, uh, just couldn't focus on it, which which happens to me sometimes anyway. But uh, yeah. you know, it's uh, it has it has some good moments. It has some very dodgy moments as well. I, I think uh, Little Nelly's a classic that uh, everybody mm -hmm. recognises, and uh, and it's got some. It's it's what I said while while we were watching right at the beginning that it's got a fantastic score, which we don't benefit from. Uh, these these viewings uh very much mm. but uh and ken adams uh sets are are fantastic as they always are but uh it it was a bit lacking for me on this viewing do you think the lack of soundtrack was one of the reasons why then it 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 could be but also i i can have uh massive problems with with focus and holding my attention on things so mm. uh, it could be that too 
Uh, I can go next for for my wrap up. I also miss the music. Um, And I think that that's a really attractive element of this film. And it's funny because, you know, my bread and butter is studying gender and specifically women in Bond films. And I don't think the women in, you know, these, this this film in particular are anything to write home about. You know, I, I don't find either Helga Brandt or Aki or Kissy Suzuki to, to really be all that memorable. Although I do love the way that Aki drives. And I think that that's probably one of the most exciting elements, being able to pick Bond up Mm. and giving him that type of, of support. And yet, all of that said and done and some of some of the the issues with you know bond turning japanese and stuff like that i really like you only live twice even though there are some gaps in in the plot i love the set design i'm this is always a film that intrigues me i like the technology i like the fight at the end i know we were talking about like should it be a lava pit or piranha pit but i love that there was sort of that like exotic element associated with Blofeld and his lair. Um, I liked Blofeld in this. I, I still think the cat is very fascinating, uh, trying to think about you know uh, <laughs> the experience of the cat. Uh, but this is a film that just has a lot for your eyes. And I think that coming at a point where mass travel really wasn't prominent um, the way that it, well, not in Corona, mm-hmm. pre-Corona, or, you know, maybe, maybe a year ago, the way that it was. Corona. You know, a lot of people wouldn't have had an opportunity to go and visit Japan. And so I think that, you know, this film tries to bring out different visual and cultural elements as well. Um, And so, yeah, I've always enjoyed this film. And I think I was surprised that every time it got nominated and I nominated this film a few times, like it was always Mm -hmm. like the lowest of the bunch, you know, Mm -hmm. like nobody wanted this, this, this particular viewing to happen. And I know that I personally, I really like the last two films that we're reviewing um, on this podcast. So uh, I thoroughly enjoyed, you know, today talking with all of you, it's World Smile Day, I'm smiling. And even though, you know, there's some, some, you know, uh, uh, sort of negative sentiments about No Time to Die uh, being delayed, um, I really feel as though like this podcast together has just sort of lifted my spirits and I've enjoyed it. So thank you. Cool. Um, I find it a very enjoyable film, and it's not a faithful adaptation of the novel, far from it, but uh, I'm at the point, well, I made my piece with that a long time ago, so I enjoy, I I just find a lot of it enjoyable. You know what, I, I suppose it might have soothed some fans if they'd called it something other than You Only Live Twice, but that was a this was like the the uh, shortest gap between publishing of the novel and and a movie with the title, so I don't think there was That's any right. way they were going to give that up. Um, you know, you know what? If they'd called this Spectre, the name Spectre right. as a movie title would be a lot better remembered. So I'll leave it at that. Hmm. I the way I think about this is often because I mean it's you know the the travelogue in Japan as being the standout feature. I mean that's basically what they pulled from the book, right? But um, Put into context, it's 1967. We were just a little over 20 years since the end of World War II, where America defeated and the Allies defeated Japan, right? So here right. we are going into basically in living memory, in, in a generation's living memory, enemy territory. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know how that was accepted in US culture at the time this came out. I think that'd be an interesting thing to look at whether that turns some people off at the time. Mm. 
because it, Japan actually, as a culture was the most alien um, to Western audiences out there, I think, in the world. Um, yeah, right. Still yeah, to this right, day, yeah. you know. So, but uh, I, I, um, talking about the the Second World War in, in the book, uh, Taigo was actually a kamikaze pilot. Mm, that's right. And uh, and uh, one an unsuccessful one, thankfully. Yes. <laughs> and, well, and so well, was one we... of the helicopter pilots on the on the crew was a former yeah. kamikaze. That's right. Uh, so I'm I'm sorry, but you reminded me of that. Mm. No, um, I didn't know that. In fact, yeah, it was he was like it, it, it's in the I, making of documentary, and he was like, okay. I, so, so like apparently like Lewis Gilbert is like watching this old guy pilot, and it's the pilot's hand is shaking, and other people are laughing, and Lewis Gilbert is like, ooh, what's going on here? But he but he turned out to be like one of their best pilots, and he was involved in getting Johnny Jordan to the hospital after his accident. No, so one of the things I'm always interested in is how these films are received by different parts of the world when they came out, because we get a very um, whitewashed version of history from the official franchise. And I don't think, I think the, uh, the legacy book tried to do a little sidebar of like, world, you know, what was happening in world history at the time, but it was trivial stuff that we all knew, but I don't think it really tied into cultural feelings of the, of the day. And, um, that's something I'd like to dive, dive into is, I don't know even how you would do it, but, um, given the contentiousness of like how World War II ended between the US and Japan and how that went down with US audiences and how the Japanese felt about a Western film coming in uh, with, a, with a Western hero into their country at the time too. I don't imagine everybody was happy about it. Um, mm. So brave move by the producers, I think. I, um, I Actually, I can tell you, in growing up in the Midwestern United States, People still weren't happy in the 70s and 80s as uh, Japanese automakers were challenging Detroit uh, very successfully. And there was, but trust me, there was, there was a lot of xenophobia out there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 20 years or 22 years after the end of World War II, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, to, you know, to see a Western hero ally with Japanese Secret Service was... Bold, I think, at the time. Yeah. Of oh, Fleming, too, when he wrote the book. Mm-hmm. So, and considering how xenophobic Fleming was, I think it was a little bit out of character. <laughs> to do yeah. That. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it is interesting. Um, and, you know, Tiger is one of the, you know, you know, maybe not the most memorable, but he is a great ally uh, in the franchise. And I think, um, you know, people people do think of him fondly, so it is quite. It was quite a bold thing to do. Anyway, so with that, we have one movie left to go. Um, can't think of what it is. Um, uh, any ideas, David? Um, oh, I wonder. Let me think. We watched Doctor No. And... <laughs> <laughs> it oh, must be never, ne- never say never again. Gun. Exactly. (laughs) So we will reconvene next week for the finale of the official series, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do for six months. (laughs) (laughs) We got lots of time. (laughs) 
You can go through Casino Royale very slowly, the 60s version. Yeah, and there's also the TV version of Casino Royale. Okay, good, good. Yeah, that keeps us busy for about a month. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we should just do the uh, Blofeld's cat commentary with Calvin. (laughs) (laughs) Why, I quite agree. I love it. Oh, Calvin, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. This is your future. <laughs> <laughs> Voicing cats in things. Paying the mortgage for you, dude. This is mm-hmm. this is your holiday holiday money. And go to Bali. Uh, I remember holidays going places. <laughs> so we will reconvene next week for the Man of the Golden Gun finale. Thank you very much, everybody, and yeah. we'll see you then. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.